Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, welcome back. We are X is for show. I'm Nico and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm TK. You can find me all over the socials at XNateXGrayX. Oh wait, oh we and now we got him. Try that one oh. more time for me. Hey everybody, it's Nathan. You can find me online at Dazzler AOA. That's like Dazzler in the Age of Apocalypse. <laughs> I think you mean that's like who you are right now in the <laughs> Age of Apocalypse. I cannot believe Dazzler from the Age of Apocalypse is hanging out with us during Sins of Sinister. Right? I mean, like, who else to talk about another reality besides another reality person? <laughs> well, and you know, we're going to talk about some big moves for Dazzler today. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Vampire Hunter. Like, Dazzler the Vampire Hunter? Absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the things that I find the most exciting is that a lot of times when we're talking about, like, new status quos for characters or, like, um, dramatic changes for characters, like an Age of Apocalypse, I feel like we see so few of those elements carry over, like, back into who the character is. But I feel like so much of, like, what Age of Apocalypse did for Dazzler, like, toughened her up to the audience in a really cool, like, dynamic way. Yeah, I gotta say, as a 90s kid growing up in the 90s, I I was like, Dazzler, like, uh, disco trash? What? Because, you know, disco was not cool then <laughs> at all. But then, like, Age of Apocalypse came around, and I was like, oh, okay. She could be a cool character if they kind of updated her. <laughs> I feel like, for me, I didn't get into Dazzler until she was really misused in the 2010s and i was like oh but i know people love this character there's gotta be some <laughs> good stuff behind it that was when i finally did a lot of my like australian outback reading but even mm. for me it was sold after age of apocalypse no that's fair that's fair i get it i was i was just like oh cool she's a chain smoker i want to be a chain smoker little did i know <laughs> i turned it <laughs> agree at least she isn't one of the chain smokers right <laughs> that's Absolutely. worse yeah. So we're here to talk mostly about Sins of Sinister. We've got some other stuff on the docket, but like one of the key things about Sins of Sinister is it reminds me how many like time of person there are in the Marvel Universe. It's like a really time-honored tradition. You know, the, the first one that kind of set it all alight, Age of Apocalypse, which of course was by no means the first AU. Uh, it replaced everything. But since then, we've seen like, partial replacements and i'm just wondering how do you guys feel about trying to manage like an au universe simultaneously with the other titles before we jump into doing just that i i think it's hard when you are i think at this point it's hard for us to get as invested in a au universe um so I think that's why they can't do line 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 wide resets like they did with Age of Apocalypse because we know it's all going to come back. Like Age of Apocalypse was great; it was fun, it was dark, it was depressing, it was like everything I want for an arc. But we all knew at the end of it, most everything had to go back to normal. So I, I think 
that's kind of where we are with all of these and to erase everything line wide and do like age of apocalypse style doesn't work as well i recognize that age of apocalypse can't really happen again like we can't do that just total reset but to me that is the gold standard yeah um because it took away all of the confusion uh, in a, it took away all of the bad confusion and left all of the good confusion. Generation X is always the best example of that because that book had only had four issues before it ended and a new book started. And then the question was, okay, now are we doing number five after this or are we restarting it again? Or, you know, it was a cool it was a cool question. It was something that had never been done before. Uh, you know, it's the, the best friend getting killed in the first episode of Buffy. But since then, Marvel has wanted to really have its cake needed too, which is a terrible phrase because why the fuck would you <laughs> not eat a cake that you had? But, um, you know, to make me believe that age of X-Man matters, that age of X matters, but to not, take everything off the board to not do the big reset to not leave me confused to constantly be like but don't worry we're not shaking up your world too much ends up not shaking up my world too much so you know i know why it can't happen the same way that it did in the 90s but i do that really set me up for some high expectations well and speaking of books that we were like isn't it ending after that au Mm -hmm. just before anything else happens x-men red is coming back. Yes. And so, you know, there's going to be a lot of, like, conjecture throughout the course of this episode. But Al Ewing, who, by the way, I don't know if you guys know, but Al Ewing writes comics. Um, Al Ewing really? came forward and was like, X-Men Red, number 11. I am, like, elbow deep. So let's get at it. I th- he might have meant it elbow deep in a different direction. But anyway, uh, what do you guys think about X-Men Red? Keeping on, keeping on. Not a big surprise. Um, maybe only, I mean, you know, the big surprise is that X-Men Red is going to number 11. Um, not a big surprise that Al Ewing will be writing Mars slash Space Mutants. Um, that's been a hit. It's been really fascinating and interesting. There's, I would expect no matter what that was going to continue. It's, this is the weird expectations game that we're playing now where like, because some stuff is ending and some stuff isn't, it just is weird. It's not as clean as everything ended at Sins of Sinister and then everything restarted. So I just, uh, you know, I, I'm more just like Marvel numbering. Um, but you know, I'm so stoked about Ewing and everything that he writes. Uh, I, I love that it's continuing. Like I, I, that's why I thought I'd seen that before. That's why I was like, wait, wait, but I never really saw a confirmation of it anywhere else besides like vague recollections of seeing that it was going to continue so i'm glad that like he's like no 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 i've been saying this over and over and over it's gonna go on it's continuing like quit worrying about it because it's such a good story i I love what he's doing with the iraq i i love where he's taking storm i love uh, all the supporting cast that he's brought in like characters who i didn't care about before like i i'm suddenly caring about like I, like I know, Nico, you're probably a big Rockslide person, but like I never really care about Rockslide, really. But like Wrongslide, love Wrongslide. So like I'm just I'm just loving I'm loving these I'm loving his version of the characters and the story he's telling. 
And I'm here for all of this brave new idea that we are getting in this like line wide big way. But one of the places that we're getting like the craziest biggest ideas, which we kind of know probably isn't coming back with a number 11, it's getting a cool ass one shot been before the fall. But I believe we're here to kick stuff off with Legion of X today. And we cannot possibly do that without the incredible X-Pac, who we are so excited. We have such a full docket today, so many brilliant voices, and I'm excited to turn the reins over to this guy over here. I finally pointed in the right direction. You nailed it. Hey. <laughs> right? Oh. <sighs> this guy over here. <laughs> and uh, bring in some incredible new voices. It's Hello. Brother Jacus. Hello. Introduce Hello, yourself, friends. Well, uh, please, please go, Mother Jacus. Oh, well, thank you. Hello, I'm Mother Jacus. I'm not at all suspicious um, in my appearance or timing. Um, and you can find me, oh, down here, I put my things um, on Twitter at Omega Sentinel uh, on Twitter or on Instagram at The Heart Farmer. Um, and we're here to talk about comics. Yes, we are. And hello, everyone. I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. And what if I just went like this and there was a spade under my head? <laughs> Who would be surprised at this point? Who would be surprised? Not me. Well, I, not to talk about everything too much, not to get into everything, but we're only missing one suit right now. No, no we, we got, got them all, Bubba. We got them all? Oh, hey, no. We're, yeah. we're, we're all revealed. Although, although Al Ewing did create another suit of tarot, so maybe they'll create another suit of cards. Ooh, I was going to say, I have like a, I'm going to come back one day with like a pentacle up here, and it's going to be like a little bit tarot, a little bit Thank Damien you, Hellstrom, all very sexy. But first, we're here to do something very important to eulogize one of the most important characters in the history of Marvel, who was given a beautiful send-off by writer Cy Spurrier with uh, art by Netho Diaz and Sean Parsons. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, with art by Netho Diaz, Sean Parsons and Alvaro Lopez on inks and Hava Tartaglia and Ruth Redmond on colors. What gorgeous justice they did to the hero that we all know and love. Forget me not. You will not be forgotten. Who? Oh, you know, just the most important character in the history of the Marvel Universe. Never heard of him. Somebody's got to find that headpiece and put it in and be like, oh, my God. Yeah, I'm sure this can't be the end of Forget Me Not. I am pretty sure that we are, in fact, sending you Forget Me Nots to help you to remember. Um, and then here come the men in black. <laughs> so you won't remember. I don't wait. Hold on. Now I actually think you might not remember. Hold on. Wait. Has Men in Black always been a like a super sarcastic sequel to Forget Me Not? Oh this is a recursive loop of forgetfulness. Where... I mean, I do. You know, I do. To take it back to the subject at hand, I'm a little uh, appreciative of the fact that we got a, a stake. You know, we can't ever no with nobody dying. Things feel really low stakes at times, and mm -hmm. I'm very impressed that Cy Spurrier managed to pull one out. This this dude can't come back. Yeah, Forget Me Not's always been kind of a fraught character because when he does pop up, there's always this there's this constant existential threat that everyone will forget him as soon as they look away, and there's never been an easy way to fix this. Obviously, the earpieces keep falling out of everyone's head, and they keep forgetting the poor guy um 
Who are we talking it's about? <laughs> I don't know. Was it Lost dating somebody? Was she dating somebody? I don't remember. Well, she talked about stuffing Nightcrawler. Mm. Well, okay. So this actually, went, this is a really funny thing, but there is an issue of Daredevil that got Miss Legacy numbered. One legacy number was used twice, and then they skipped a legacy number to fix it. So there's actually a legacy issue of Daredevil missing. And I just sort of feel like that is forget me not. <laughs> there should be a legacy issue of Le of Legion of X just missing for forget me not. And I just think that's I don't know. It's just magical that like he is this thing that you don't remember in a cool way. Oh my God! What if he was in that legacy number of Daredevil issue of Daredevil and they like just reprint it sometime? Just put I him mean, in. I'm there. He's, he's one of those great mutants that's been in the background of X storytelling for a couple of like what like a decade and a half now and you know it's it's been really because you know Krokoa has obviously given us so many mutants so many opportunities to tell stories and it's been really great to see forget me not on a team struggling with his power his very unusual power set and a, trying to apply them to you know functional infiltration um and, but then to see like see the story play out where of course everyone's gonna forget him that's his power it's it's just it's it's a great arc, but it's also just it really it's tragic. There's no I don't see there being any like good resolution for him unless he like loses his powers or something at some point. Well, I really appreciate the Spurrier coming from the Morrisonian school of writing X characters, wherein you know the whatever is containing them or helping them, the assistive device that they need to like be a functional person can oh. just kind of slip out of your ear, like. Mommy. It feels, yeah, exactly. Like there are so many characters in, in the Morrison run that it was just like by a wing and a prayer, they're still here. <laughs> and like there are no checks and balances, there are no redundancies at this school. And if it fucks up, you're just, you kind of go away. And, you know, I feel like for like years, that. what's that? Don't talk about dummy like that. I, feel like I hope they bad. brought dummy back. I feel so bad. A mutant gas whose rubber suit was deflated on, I, on open on property. Day. On property, and they did oh. nothing. Nobody did anything for him. And like, like oh well, well, that's a yeah. bad claim. I want the story where, in the first place, Storm had to be like, um, this kid hit puberty, and he turned into a giant fart. We need to fix this. I'm going to gather up all of his wins. Okay, fabricate a suit. And then, so now Dummy's a person, and Dummy's like, I owe this Aurora lady literally everything. And he's like, what am I going to do with my time? I'm going to suck. And like, I, I love Dummy, but like Dummy is one of those characters in that, and I'm going to say it, you know, this is coming, is in that era of Sammy the Fish Boy, where there were just so many fucking amazing children X-Men that just, I, I don't want to hear it. Like there were just so many great characters and we're talking about Juggernaut this book anyway. So it's like the one time I can kind of make that connection. Where is Sammy? There. Where is He's Sammy? He's dead. No, he's it not. Is. Not anymore. They well, just never brought him back. Yeah, they hasn't been brought back yet. Same with this Dummy. Is, I sure mean, this is, this is like something Charles is holding over Kane's head. Absolutely. He is like, if you don't stay in line, Sammy the Fish Boy never coming back. Deleting him. And on that note, <laughs> garbage dad, garbage in the hardest. Uh, 
<laughs> I don't Garbage really even know heart. what to say. <laughs> I don't know what to say at this point. Like, and this is kind of this is like part of the problem with Sins of Sinister is that like it is such a big moment for Charles as a member of the Quiet Council, and like we've so got to deal with that that we're really backburning garbage dad Charles who took things to a new garbage dad level this week. And I don't know when we're going to get to return to that, but it feels really important. And to be a little bit honest, it feels to me more important than Charles, one of the 12 on the Quiet Council that are just figuring out how to de-sissify Sinister. Let him be as sissy as he wants, you assholes. And like hope can do that, right? Hope's not right. a bad dad. So I don't need hope to be like, look at all the ways I'm a failure paternally, right? But Xavier, you have very few other things going for you. You're very shiny on top, okay? That's one good thing. But other than that, what are you good for? You are very bad at your job. You are the Peter Principal, my friend. You just kept getting promoted. And then you made up a club. And I think you only made it up for your college records. I think you only made it up to get into a good school. You were only going to have two meetings. And then instead, you made 12 people a part of this fucking force of justice and now you've done a bad job and a guy who based himself on playing cards <laughs> legitimately beat you his name is mr sinister he had a diamond on his forehead so his clones have the other suits charles charles you were literally beaten by an obvious punchline charles is the definition of failing forward <laughs> yes so, like like absolutely like he just lucked out Moira McTaggart was like, uh, uh, I guess you're kinda, I guess you're kinda gonna be important to this, so I guess we're gonna have to work together. And then, like, bam, they just fell I, yeah. You know, this book it's also me, had a, This book also had a couple of really important, <laughs> big Kirk Cohen story beats, too. The, like, the intertwining of Krakoa and the Phalanx and the Orcus Nimrod thing was like mm -hmm. a three-year payoff of a storyline that's been brewing in the background for a while. I'm really curious what everyone thought about that, kind of like what Sizebarrier's doing with some of those Hickman threads. Well, I'm happy someone's finally taking a hem to these threads and trying to connect it all together because I think that's part of the fun of continuing runs where we're doing this very long story arc that's been going on for now. We're in our third year, or, or fourth year, if you're counting everything collectively, um, of the Age of Krakoa. And even though it's broken up into separate segments, there are still some interesting things that were brought us at the very beginning that a lot of people haven't felt the need to touch yet or didn't want to touch it or whatever. And I appreciate that Sai said, no, we're going to continue with this. We're going to take this and we're just going to sprint and run with it. And that's something that I can really appreciate. I, however, think that because this book is covering so many different storylines, I think that maybe a little bit of everything, having the, it's, I guess it's kind of what your preference is. Do you want to be the jack of all trades where you can have these three different separate storylines kind of trying to eventually weave together to one? Or do you want to focus on the one storyline instead? That might be up to personal preference. For me, I... Maybe one hand out of one cookie jar would have been nice. Maybe only two cookie jars. I don't know if he needs three. Well, that's exactly the only reason I'm okay with the fact that Nimrod hasn't done the Megan dance yet. 
There's Give just it time. In this book for Nimrod to do the Megan dance. <laughs> and I'm just, oh Jesus oh, Christ, Jonah! Uh, I, I just and to really cut everybody to up it. with a with a paper slicer. Yep. Oh, yeah. um, oh Nimrod yeah. with like a blunt weapon that shouldn't work would be a great fight. <laughs> Nimrod with a club like a cave Nimrod would be really funny. Me yeah. Nimrod, you victim, like. But is is everybody does this work for everybody? This idea that this is going like rather than this being the you know Hoxpox two that we get that deals with the next phase of Orcus versus Krakoa, are we cool with it in kind of a book that I think winds up being thought of as a little bit secondary? I mean, Sizebury is a huge writer, obviously, but I think a lot of people see Legion of X as not the main X book, right? Um. And does that work? So, like, Orcus is uh, attacking the island in several ways. <laughs> like, right now, we've got mm-hmm. Legion X going on. We've got what they're doing in Bishop yeah. War College. We've got, um, you know, so they are definitely taking the offensive. And, and you've got to figure that Moira is behind it all. So I think it kind of plays into a, a lot of what is going on. I think um, they're... I think the choice of doing it in Legion of X and the way it was brought in with Warlock as the character to um, facilitate this happening is an odd choice because Warlock like never appeared before this arc happened. And so, yeah, that is a hard choice, but I do like that's a tough choice to swallow. But otherwise, I, I like the story beat on it. And I have to say, like, I wasn't as big of a fan of Legion of X or, um, you know, the way of X when it started, but like, as it's ending, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. There are actually some really big concept ideas in here. And there's some really good storytelling that maybe it just took a little while to set up what he was trying to do with the characters. And maybe some ladies you love. <laughs> maybe a little. Just a little. Just a little. I mean, Way of X did have Stacey X in it and Dazzler, so like it's it's hard to like top that. But I feel like Margali Zardos is a good way to try at least. It oh is, my god, Margali Zardos in witch mom mode. Oh yes. Yeah. And fully, fully high up on the uh oh the what the winding path or whatever the hell it is. The winding way. Winding um, way you, yes. I gotta ask though, worse mom than Charles Xavier is a dad? I don't think so. No, she get, she gave her son a gift that the, that she then took away from him. <laughs> well, so I guess really that's like I, I want I'm I'm diving into that question to then follow it up immediately with like, uh, do we think that there is something interesting and redeeming enough about this character that she can come back around as sort of an anti-hero like mystique esque? Like, does he have two mystique moms? Yes, he does. Oh, for, well, she's yeah. got that vibe. She's fully, I don't I don't know if I'm saying it. She's fully C-U-N-T, you know? Like, she's... Yeah. But she's, she's always been that way. I mean, like, yeah. Exactly, she had a, yes. She had a little bit of a redemption at the end of her first appearance in X-Men Annual 4. But, like, even when <laughs> you go to, like, uh, the Excalibur arc where she was the Red Queen of the Hellfire Club and she wanted to unleash an, a demon that lived under London to, like to like kill everybody like I, I don't know i don't think she like i don't need a redemption from Margali. like she's got her own she's got her own things she's important to me because of uh like her history and stuff she's got a great look i just i just gotta know how this 
Romani sorceress raised a Catholic foster son. <laughs> that has come to my attention all the time. Well, sister. no, I mean, like, there's, there's, uh, there's, there are Romani Catholics. It's not completely out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, but she's a sorceress. Oh, she's a sorceress. And, yeah, you can be a sorceress and be Catholic as well. <laughs> Actually, it's very magical. magical. Actually, by the tenets of Catholicism, you cannot practice any kind of witchcraft or worship any creature above God or at God's equal. So the idea of being a witch and a Catholic are at complete odds with one another because Catholicism goes out of its way to specify that that witchcraft. This is, would is, turn is, into a much longer conversation, and I'm not going to let it, Jacob. I think Catholicism can work together and have will, many will, traditions. We will so, do a separate thing on this. Christianity, as like a bigger picture of following the follow like but like having been raised aggressively catholic they're pretty anti-witchy well i mean it depends on your strain of catholicism <laughs> but yes this will this will this will become a whole episode if we don't stop exactly i will apply the full force of yeah don't whatever, don't, don't i'm not I letting this happen the, i got the text power. from kevo being like stop <laughs> <laughs> um, um so okay no redemption arc for Magali. We agree. No. no, she's an evil drag mom. We love it. She doesn't need to have a redemption arc. She's fabulous. She's got those horns. She's horny all the time. Yeah, she's she looks like a Dea from Final Fantasy VIII. She can do no wrong. Keep her evil. She need a stay in Kurt's life arc, or is she best as somebody who pops up, fucks shit up, and leaves? Pops in, fucks shit up, and leaves. That's, that's okay. okay. Always I, been a character in the best. I do okay. want to see her fight with Mystique, though, about who is the worst slash best of Nightcrawler's moms. I... Yeah, that really becomes my question. Like, do they think they are good moms? <laughs> no. Jonah, what are you thinking, Jonah? Well, one, I want her to pop up and fuck shit up, but she'll leave a gift, like, every time. <laughs> like, not in the way you think it is. So, like, this gift was, Kurt had the hope sword inside of him the entire time, but she took that with her. So the gift was just the knowledge that you had that in you, <laughs> and that it's a very powerful sword. Thanks, Mom. Um, I, <laughs> I think Mystique thinks she's a good mom to not Kurt, but everybody else, and I think Margali doesn't care about being a good mom. Mystique thinks she's being a good mom to someone like Rogue, but she is not a good mom to Kurt. Yeah, I think Bargali is actually the better mom out of the two of them because she did actually like raise Kurt. She took I mean, him in. I mean, it is hard to top throwing him off of a river. But the other part of that is leaving him to die after you, you know, you know, Excalibur to sword out of his stone. So I don't know. Maybe, but maybe there's man. Did he get a physique upgrade? Well, with that me... gigantic titty hanging out in the last panel. <laughs> I actually want to touch on something that I think actually supports both Nathan's point and my and Jake's loving debate. If we want to actually take a look, if she is on the winding way and is on a separate religious path than strict Catholicism, the way a priest would practice it, the fact that she was encouraging of her son's faith actually does make her kind of a really good mom. She does not practice that faith, yet she's encouraging of his personal explorations of the idea of of the world around him as a creature who specifically looks non-human where her non-humanness is still there she's got the you know the fuckums but like her fuckums are like a little bit less than like his fuckums and so like i feel a bit like we could argue mystique is like i want you to be successful my way and there's no other way but Margali is kind of like, be successful however you want, honey. I'm still going to take the money from your account. And in that way, 
I think she's not a bad mom. You she's know, a religious she, pluralist, if nothing else. She 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 supports her son's alternative beliefs. So hold on, as we respond, I'm going to ask people to get into their last thoughts on this, and um, also, you know, big reveal at the end here. Please feel free to delve into that. I feel like that's going to have some big ramifications in a few months. Hold on, can I just answer Tori's point? I Go. feel like the difference is Moses was in like a little basket and was nicely, <laughs> gently pushed down a river. Kurt was yeeted off the top of a waterfall and yeah. was like, you did not live. Yep. That's the correct answer. But Jonah, <laughs> yep. keep going. Let's hear some final thoughts from you on this. Oh, uh, I love this reveal. Uh, I love, I think, um, I think there was uh, whisperings and rumorings that this was a very possible, a big possibility that Mother yeah. Righteous was uh, a sinister, was somebody important. Um, you know, she showed up at the right exact time, and it's a as uh, somebody who is learning a lot about you know murder mysteries and, and the whodunits. Mm-hmm. Nothing is a coincidence, and everybody is at everybody is a suspect, and I am really interested to see the four factions at play right now with the four different sinisters of the diamonds, the spades, the clubs, and now we have the heart. I'm wondering who's going to come out on top and who the mutants are going to support. Because it feels like most of the mutants, the mutants fall into three separate categories, but I feel like the best choice i don't know if there is one in this case would be mother righteous but we don't know what her prices are yet we just know what her gifts are yeah i i i completely agree with everything that you've said jonah um you know she seems to me to be very interested in godhood of an esoteric kind of belief-based nature she wants people's belief she wants their gratitude and we've seen earlier in Locke's how gratitude, how belief plays into the uh, advancement of godhood or divinity. Um, and it seems like those those are some ideas that Sai is playing with when it comes to Mother Righteous. Um, this, this is the, the corner of Sinister's explorations that's dealing with the esoteric and magical and, and, and spirituality. Um, that's why it colonized the astral plane like it did. So I'm really, I, I like what's going on with this character because I've always been interested in the esoteric and spiritual of the Marvel universe and the real universe. Um, so this is, she's she's my favorite so far. I also like her like Cockney accent. And now she's like, oi, so what you gonna play with, love? Um, and I love that she's 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 the woman sinister. Um, and I, I'm, I'm really curious about how that, uh, how that occurred, um, whether or not she was, you know, from out the tube, a woman sinister, or if she transitioned. Um, there's just a lot, there's a lot there. Uh, and I'm really, she's, she's my favorite so far. I'm really excited about her. Um, yeah. So excited to see where that goes. I just like that this is a big upgrade from Mrs. Sinister, who oh, was, uh, you know, oh, poor problematic. <laughs> big problem. Big problematic, very cute, loved her, big fan, but would not want her back. Uh, You know, I also remember giving myself alcohol poisoning. The time leading up to it was great, but I still don't want to go back to it. So I, you know, I'm just excited that we're in for some good stuff. I just need like two less storylines or split into two books. It's just I'm overwhelmed and there isn't room for everything. But I guess Mother Righteous is probably going to be at least moved after the event. So I'm going to reserve judgment. I, I gotta say, like, I really hope that the 
Sons of X one shot at least is able to wrap up some of the Morgali story. Mm. Um, and I hope we're able to get some closure on the Warlock story. I mean, it, it looks as though he's not dead. He is his trapped trapped in Nimrod. In pain. So I know poor poor Warlock. I'm like, thank God you're not dead, but oh my god, you're trapped in a fucking sentinel. Ah um I I can't believe that nobody else talked about Ghost Rider Banshee writing fucking Kane Marco. <laughs> like yeah. I really I'm like I we have so much Ghost Rider stuff to talk about. I was like I can't even get into that. <laughs> I I plan on doing like a, a special we're going to have to talk about all the Ghost Rider stuff yeah, because there's we're just a big so Ghost much Rider good stuff crossover coming up and like a segment dedicated yeah. to Spirit of Variant. It's not right. that I don't think other X shows are covering Ghost Rider, but other X shows have not had like 10 people cover Ghost Rider the way we have. So yeah. I feel it's a personal responsibility in the name of burning skull vengeance that we do um give it like, more really like a, a yeah like uh we gotta we gotta do a kushala level job oh, in yeah. a world full of danny catches something so. that only goes an hour but feels like it's five describing <laughs> the spirits of vengeance would be very in honor of kushala um i do love I, that um i'm sorry no no go i was gonna say i do love that um mother righteous I, like i i i felt that mother righteous was gonna be a sinister as soon as we knew like all of them because i mean there were some obvious clues but i think it's it's interesting that mother righteous out of all the embodiments of the sinister embodies more of the feminine qualities and that's why it's a like the female sinister it's it's very weird and very like herman's heady in a way <laughs> like where like the one lady in the head was like oh yeah like i'm all the feminine qualities so it's it's very like a little too on the nose with that um, but you know, that's just my take on it. And yeah, Margali sucks as a mom. Margali sucks. Like she I just reread the Excalibur zero or minus one, I forget what it is, where they like minus she, one, yeah. The, yeah, minus the one. circus cover. Yeah, where like, you know, like she to stop Amanda from or Jermaine from leaving the circus, she kills Nightcrawler's trainer <laughs> to like be like, ha ha ha! Look, Blasco's gonna come and get you if you go. What a jerk! Yeah. Well, good. on that note, I feel like uh, there's so much more we could talk about with this, but you know, we got to move on to other sinisters. The diamond-shaped one is next on the list. So, Jonah, we're gonna say goodbye to you for a little bit, but we'll be back to talk uh, exterminators. And yes, Jake, stay right where you are to uh, talk more about Bad Dad Charles and Sinister. I had a dime. I didn't. I didn't plan ahead. I, just I know, right? Heart, but but we've got a and new we got a new guy, and he's up on the screen, so he should know right away. <laughs> and he's got to be unmuted, Unmute. so Unmute. Uh, make sure you do that. I got it. Oh wait, I think we all got it. There Hola, we go. Bro, introduce yourself. Hola, mi gente. It's Arturo, Mr. Toy Box, live and direct, and happy Sunday, everyone. Or whatever day wanted... it is that you're watching this, if you're not watching us live. Oh, yeah. Just to take one second, uh, legendary longtime contributor uh, and one of the, in a show of very strong, loud voices, one of the softest spoken people who still managed <laughs> to be heard every time in the history of our show. Robbie is hanging out in, watching the show, and it's always great to have uh, former contributors who are on their way back, by the way, uh, show up. And it just makes my heart happy that this team is such a team. Okay, sorry, done. Yay. All right. So. Immortal X-Men number 10. So this is the book that has been leading up to Sins of Sinister the whole time. So, there's so much going on in this issue. So, 
We've got our writer, Kieran Gillen. we got penciler and inker is Lucas Warneck. we got our colorist is David Curio. And our letter is VC's letterer is VC Clayton Cowles. So, first off, I gotta say, this team, beautiful. Like, the art, the lettering, the colors on it, beautiful. Like, I, we, we talk all the time about how Kieran Gillen is probably one of the sharpest ex-writers out there right now. But I gotta say, he's complimented by just this amazing team where are y'all with just the whole art team on this you know nico and i had a funny conversation last week because the um stormbreakers 2023 sketchbook came out uh stormbreakers being the like staple of new marvel artists who are young and up and coming that lucas verneck was in and like i'm so glad for the attention so i really don't want to say anything bad but it's just amusing because we're at issue 10 of this series that is like iconic so it's been a year minimum which yeah. of course like it takes a year to produce st even something like a sketchbook so like you know it makes a lot of sense but like people have known who Lurk lucas verneck is for a while have coveted his pieces <laughs> have wanted to see him draw every single woman in the marvel universe were never disappointed and that was just a funny moment where i'm like hopefully somebody who for whatever reason is insane and not reading immortal x-men sees that stormbreaker and discovers lucas vernick's amazing art but um you know really he's gonna go up there as one of the most important and iconic x artists of all time uh, the standard bearer for some of these characters co-signed I, I couldn't agree more and i mean and i want i don't want to like take anything away from him but this i'm meaning this as a compliment his style is a little pepe la Raz for me oh yeah, yeah. like the best way possible and I, yeah, I'm just obsessed with the art. I My big takeaway from these 10 issues of Immortal is let Kieran cook. Mm. Like, give him some runway, pair him up with incredible artists like Lucas Vernick and uh, Dave Curiel, and just sit back and enjoy the ride because it has been incredible. And and I've in the last week, I've reread the whole 10 issues. And, you know, not... There is not one panel that is wasted. You go back and you're you're gonna find little things that you're like, oh whoa! In issue four, they said this, and now it's coming to bear, and it's just mm -hmm. top notch, best book. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 one of the. I mean, like the, this issue especially for me is just such a beautiful crystallization of where this series has been going. You know, knowing that every ish, individual issue gets a voice of a member of the Quiet Council, and and waiting. To get the the x voice um i mean like and and wow i mean kieran is someone who does his homework does it well and I, I wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if like in in leading up to this series he read every single appearance of every member of the quiet council to really try and capture their voices because the voice here is just unbelievably on point for you know how i understand this character so a really important thing happens in this issue that you know had been hinted at as far back as Hoxpox itself uh the idea that hope dying and who's going to come and take her place so obviously we had two candidates for it um mimic was a little too like scared to even try but you know like let, let's be fair to mimic that that's probably a lot of pressure to try to yeah. resurrect the messiah and, and you're especially like especially oh. for mimic yeah, yeah. I, I think that was such baby. a good moment we needed to have that moment yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, no I, confidence. Yeah, oh, no, no, no. That, and you shouldn't, confident. you shouldn't be able to replace Hope. The dude who like showed up in classic X Men to be like, I'm all of you, shouldn't be the guy who's like, I can just do this. Like, it should be scary, and there should be somebody. It makes it seem so much bigger that there's somebody who's like, I. This is actually too big a job for me. I can't. Okay. Well, that goes, it goes but right into that note, history. I think we, he's a. Well, and yeah, he's an animorph, basically. He's just like, yeah. I'm you, and I'm you, and I'm you, and I'm you, yeah. and I'm you. So he could do it, but, like, they've always made him so scared. And, yeah. like, yeah. I love that. That's a great point. Poor Mimic. Yeah, he that's, likes the X-Men a... Super Scroll. If he was, like, more confident, like, he would have, like, just kicked their ass all the time. So. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's the textbook example of unrealized power now that Bobby uh, Iceman has realized his power. Um, and it made so much more sense that thousand-year-old Sink would be the guy to take up the take up the reins and be like, "Yep, yeah, I got this," because he did, and he did, and of course, of course, Everett was the guy because he is now always the guy because oh, God love Jonathan Hickman for placing for placing our baby Sink in a, such an important, but bringing him back and making him so important because he was my favorite Gen X member, and losing him was terrible. Rant over, and so- because we still don't have enough Black X Men. Absolutely. Absolutely. If Sync is the backup for the five, though, should he still be in the X-Men team? No, no. Uh, and he is like, he is precious. And like, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think about this, like, reasonably, if we have, if we're okay, because there's two ways to think about it. Is it a people preserving a people or are these our characters? And like, if what we're trying to say is that if Everett dies... And there's a you just like the, the the loss of Everett and Hope at the same time could literally mean the end of mutant resurrection. Mm-hmm. So I would never say Everett, you and your capacity must be limited. But then I would say Everett, could in your thousand year old capacity you work with us to help us find a replacement for you, so that you could be on the X Men. But when you represent such a key important thing, I just like I, I don't I don't wear my wedding ring out very often. I have a fake one that I wear because it's just too important not to destroy that piece of my life. Even though it's just a thing, I just can't. I would never risk the life of Sync in the first place if I could help it, having already lost him. But knowing that losing Sync could mean we could never get Sync back again. And does he need to die again anyway? No. Protect the boy. I I I heard a cat agree with me. I heard a cat too. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for agreeing. That cat is spliced with Cyclops DNA, (laughs) and he hangs out with with a huge Galapagos turtle. I I like the sync question too because it's a twofold question. Like, do we want to see the character in universe treated as precious as he might be from a logistical standpoint? But then there's also like, um, do we want to see a lot more sync? Of course we do. And sync played very well over the what are going to be 24 issues of uh, X Men, Duggan's X Men, and I assume we're going on to. 25 through 36 at this point it kind of seems like so uh setting aside things i feel about that i i maybe at this point and i'm very grateful for how duggan has featured sync but am ready for him to have a new adventure that maybe explores this question of how precious he is but in a way that um panel time we're still seeing a lot of it that's what I'm that's what I'm really in it for. And I do worry that if he got too precious, somebody would be like, okay, we just won't put him in anything. So he's in the background doing resurrections a lot. Mm. Um 
Another thing that really struck me as I was reading this issue is uh, this is Charles's narration issue, right? So his explanation of how he picked not only the O5, but the additional X-Men as he went along, uh, you know, strikes me very much in line with the Charles that we know now who's pretty shady dude, you know, thinks he knows the best and thinks he is doing the best thinks he's like the shady dude who thinks he's a good man and is like no wait i'm doing good what are you talking about i'm not i'm not causing problems i'm not throwing a scene at this bed mouth and beyond take my damn coupon that's charles xavier to me so like does this does this narration of that does it fit your version of charles xavier or are you do you still have a different version of charles xavier well okay so this this is what I love about this whole, you know, sense of sinister that that we that we have unfolding in front of us is we're getting sinister versions of characters, but it's still they're still driven by their very real motivations. If anything, they're just, you know, a little more harsh about it, a little more honest about it, a little more ruthless. And you know, like Charles admitting that he could have and should have maybe save the Morlocks, but they just weren't, you know, a valuable enough resource to exploit. That's that's pretty shrewd. And it is in line with Xavier's kind of driving motivations internally, but the saint and martyr Charles Xavier would never express that, not even, you know, in a, in a thought bubble to, to the readers. Um, but sinister Xavier doesn't have such qualms. There will never be a nuclear war. Charles Xavier is one of the most important Charles Xavier moments for me. And is that is so defining of Charles. Yeah. Um, Because that's really the moment of that's a moment of the kind of paternalism that I gravitated towards Charles in, in the nineties when I, you know, I didn't have much of a father figure and I was like, this dude takes care of shit and is everybody's dad Mm -hmm. and as i got older and kind of could go back and look at the evidence that's not always a good thing and you know sometimes he goes really far overboard but saying i won't ever let nuclear war happen is that juxtaposition of maybe somebody should just take care of everything to a point where we don't kill ourselves and maybe that person is important but also if you are mind controlling everybody into not doing nuclear war you know how fucking powerful and scary are you and where's the line for you and who checks you when it's anything but nuclear war that is such an important place for him and that's really two two things that arturo and jake said like that is gillen at his best and the thing that i respect him most for and the problems I have with Gillen, I think, have to do with maybe him not being given the correct runway. Not that it's not enough, but just he's tough to work with editorially. And when I see little moments like this, I forget. But the big moments and how this whole crossover is going to play out are where I'm really like, oh, as much as I love Gillen, I I wish he had more time on the little moments and not so much time doing summer crossovers. Well, and it's 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 that balance of character work with you know spectacle and 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 that's you know i think that was what um the tough balance was with uh judgment day was you know it was meant to give us so much introspection and reflection and character work you know 
in the context of this really big event because you had these personal moments of you know judgment um but it just the event was like 36 issues of stuff that was just too it was just way too much there's a giant god looming in the sky yelling at you like sure, it's I really mean, like, that's i i can get behind the, de- the some of those those details yeah. it's just that it was too many books yeah it was too many books but um to the point of of this rendering of professor x um i really felt like this was this was the professor x channeled through the values of moira and her visions um, what she showed him on that bench that day when she let him look into her mind. Um, of course, he's looking for the mutants who will help keep other mutants in check. He's terrified of himself and he's terrified of what he saw. Um, of course, he is looking for the resources he can exploit. He sees the dark paths that mutants can go down. And he also sees the dark paths that humanity will take mutants down. He's a he's a man trying to balance power and pragmatism and his own, his own mortal fear. Um, and that... That makes for a complicated figure and, yeah, frankly, a pretty fucking terrible dad. Um, but there's no I don't think there's any correct answer for the question of like, what is what is good paternalism? But the nuclear war thing that that I have a secret, there will never be a nuclear war felt so. Yeah, so yep. on point with like the running thread of Professor X from the 60s to now. I thought that was a perfect crystallization of the development of this character that he would say something like that that he would have something like that in place i don't know for some reason that felt so significant and so well rendered in this context perfect professor x moment perfect i think it it really speaks to his character right like that like if, if historically that he really doesn't trust other mutants unless he's been able to bring them in i mean his first mm-hmm. His first that we know of encounter with a mutant was with Malfaruk, the Shadow King. So, like, that sort of just set him on a path where he's like, oh, wait, you know, we can be great and wondrous, but, you know, like, maybe, maybe we're going to also cause the end of the world. Well, and I think one of the things about the reinterpretation of Xavier under Kieran Gillen is Kieran Gillen is so good about being like, I know everybody needs to have things in categories so we can compare them, but. I've gotten really at a point where I'm like done with the, well, no, this person's more powerful than that person argument because there's different kinds of powerful. And what Xavier is proving here is that Xavier might not be, you know, 107 on the burn you with Phoenix force scale, (laughs) but Xavier has more manipulations running at any given time. And the mistake we're making is that we're judging Xavier by other mutants when we should be judging Xavier by other cosmic level psionic forces. Because what he's doing is essentially what we would say Moondragon did. What he's done, where he's put his mind, the fact that even when things like, because if he can control nuclear war from happening, then there must be other things he's up to. Mm, You you know what I mean? The idea that this story serves to Dio Hot Mufai, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, to sort of destabilize that oh well you can't beat that person they're more powerful good destabilize it because it gets boring when i'm told hulk will always be strongest no i think galactus could squish hulk why are you saying that galactus could not squish the hulk you know prior to at least the green door because we know galactus can annihilate all reality in a in a place so how is it that you know and that's one of the things i think this did so well for xavier it re-escalated him where he needs to be 
it had he hasn't been there since the Illuminati, and that was as soon yeah. as you said like he needs to be taken along with other cosmic level threats. The first thing I thought about was the Illuminati because that was really somebody saying these are the movers and shakers behind the scenes and the the council and the Illuminati. There's a lot to be said there, but that was a really good place for him because it wasn't other mutants. It wasn't other mutant stuff. It was the people on earth who are going to make those. I'm not allowing nuclear war type decisions and have the capability to do so. I mean, they had infinity stones. Yeah. And then remember when beast had an infinity stone? How did any of us survive that? (laughs) <laughs> we didn't we didn't we didn't reality ended and we got a new reality i True. guess we owe moira for one thing and he wasn't <laughs> like fully evil yet i guess but Nathan, like, uh, change, change to your black swan wig that's post post trinity <laughs> he was fully evil post trinity i'm sorry yeah okay. yeah right. yeah um and as we wrap up this issue um what are Final thoughts on this issue. It's the run, the big reveal at the end. Charles Xavier with the sinister diamond. Uh, I was, you know, uh, I'm just. Oh, oh yeah, go for it, please. I, I just, I'm sad and happy. Like I like that not everything can be the same. If you ask me, what one of the most perfect shows I've ever seen in my entire life is, it's Twin Peaks. And that's, you know, two little seasons plus a bonus season plus a movie plus three books plus some audio stuff and, you know, whatever. But, like, Twin Peaks is altogether really two seasons of television. If you ask me what another one of my favorite programs of all time is, I would gladly say uh, the Star Trek universe, which isn't a single program, but it's a big entity. I don't think you can quite compare them the same way. And in that way, Immortal X-Men giving me 10 issues that I can sort of hold in my heart in an interesting way that I didn't really get from Hickman's X-Men and I don't get from Duggan's X-Men that I wanted from the Hoxpox era. It's bittersweet that it's my so-called life short, but I'm really glad that it's my so-called life short before it could get like Frasier stupid. Yeah. Yes. And yes, but I need more. And uh, I understand that, you know, all of reality is going to unravel with this event and who knows where we're going to land afterwards, but please dear Marvel give hearing Dylan another book, give him another cast of characters, whatever, let him keep running. Cause hot damn, this, this was just like such a great, such a great series. Definitely my favorite uh, title of this era or this uh, iteration of the Krakoan era. And yeah, it, it was just incredible. Great reveal. Uh, can't wait to see what happens with the Sinisters. And yeah, let's go. I really feel like in this era of so many mutants getting so much, you know, like be, being being all around, it's, it's really nice to have a char- character spotlight book um, and to get, you know, some internal interiority on characters like Exodus and characters like Sebastian Shaw, characters who like we we've never really had a look inside on before and to see what's in their heads, what's in their history, what makes them tick. And then to revisit characters we're very familiar with, but within this framework and this context, um, it's just, it's been such a satisfying run. I think, I think this is some work to be very, very proud of for the entire team. Um, and I'm just I, I I hope that we get some more character spotlight work because this is just such a great time for it, especially uh, given the way the spotlights have interwoven with the greater story. It's just wonderful work. 
Yeah, uh, I echo all of your sentiments. Uh, Arturo especially. Give Kieran Gillen another book and another set of characters. I do mean both uh, give him, keep giving him work because he's phenomenal, but also give him other work. Um, he has really been so responsible for so much of these last few years in a way that I really love, but I am ready to maybe not put the world on his shoulders and see what happens then, especially for the X-Men. Um, I, I certainly have nothing against what he did while the world was on his shoulders. It's just, just from judgment day to sins. It's a lot on one person. Um, and I just, I go back to the little moments every time and, um, you know, I'm excited to see where Sins of Sinister goes regardless. Yeah, I mean, this this book has been absolutely amazing, right? It's like reconceptualized characters that we don't know anywhere near enough about. It's been able to, like, the interplay between Sinister the whole time has been Chef's Kiss, like, phenomenal. I, I There's been, he made Sinister a character that is, still not likable like in the way that you would like like him as a person <laughs> but like you know who is a us who has all those grandiose vaudevillian properties but is still a formidable like this is the first time i've read a sinister story especially when you get into sins of sinister where i'm like oh i can actually sinister's fucking terrifying like this this whole lead up has really been able to reconceptualize the character for me. Mm -hmm. well I cannot wait to come back and keep talking about some amazing books. But I do believe this is our fair farewell to Mother Jakus, who has That's been me. with us for two amazing segments. Right. So, Jake, would you be kind enough to tell us where we can go to find you? Yes, you can find me on Twitter at Omega Sentinel. That's O H Mega Sentinel or O Mega Sentinel. Um, and you can also find me on Instagram at The Heart Farmer, um, like one who farms the hearts. Like well we cannot wait to have you back on but until then we're going to take a short break hit up a commercial or two and then come back for some x-men red Woo. oh so stick around and like and subscribe and stuff yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, I'm so excited. It's X-Men Red time, and we have with us another voice, but a voice that is very familiar to anybody checking out our show. Hello, it's me, Steve. You can find me on Twitter at HowdyDuda. That's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. You can find me some other places. Just look around. I'm there. And, you know, it's actually so wild that I feel like X-Men Red is the book that it is, where it's sitting in this crossover, because one of the biggest things for me with X-Men Red by Al Ewing, who has navigated this title so perfectly and fluidly, uh, one of the things that I really think that he's sought to do is pull together all of these different threads. And I feel like I had not expected this title to play into 
the narrative of Sins of Sinister quite the way that I feel like it is. We have Al Ewing on X-Men Red We uh, for writing. We have Pencils and Inks by Stefano Caselli and Jacopo Camani. Deepest apologies for the deep mispronunciation I'm sure that was. Colors by Federico Blee and Letters by Ariana Mar who uh, <laughs> always does the best letters ever. And, uh, you know, it's lovely. It looks good. I'm not here to say that it's not attractive art, but I do just want to say this variant cover, while very cool, no. I say no. I say the Okay. Name. I bought the cover because I'm like, it's really, really beautiful art. But then I was like, I was like, but why? This has nothing to do with X-Men, right? Like... Like, if you're going to do a classic cover, do a Storm classic cover. Like, you could do the Life Death cover, update it, bam. I might have taken um, Storm and Magneto doing the classic um, yeah. Gene and, and Scott. Like, it, it's it's just the fact that this is not X-Men Red. This is the X-Men who have their own book, and we could have done this cover in front of the Treehouse. Or, you know, it it, that, it is weird. Super cool, Dodderman, amazing, but, you know. The fact that the corner box has all of the current X-Men right, and not exactly. Mega X-Men exactly. is just extra fucked up. <laughs> Did they not know what book this was going to go on and that's why the banner is just across the top like that? Like that I is divided. It. Yeah. It's just it's beautiful. There was a there was an amazing Spider-Man cover yeah. this week that was literally just the Fantastic Four logo across the top. You couldn't tell it was Amazing Spider-Man unless you knew the position on the rack or you looked inside the book or on the back, and it was just infuriating to see that. Don't don't do that. Literally, like, it was the first one. Literally, it was the first one on the rack at our store, and we're like, "What? What? What is this? Like, wait, that doesn't make any sense." Oh, it's Amazing Spider-Man. That makes less sense. Yeah, great cover, wrong book. <laughs> Great cover, wrong book. And we have such a beautiful variant here that showcases Storm and Vulcan. Kevo, I just got to say, fast fucking work, bro. That was amazing. Uh, Does Vulcan I have love... a flat top? I, I think it wow. might just be the shock of how fucking hot Storm looks here just blew some of his hair off. Oh, I see. Okay, so it's not quite flat toppy, but even still, uh, we got to talk. Sir, the hair. Okay, anyway. So... <laughs> I would love to get everybody's take on this. I mean, we already know that it's not ending, which thank goodness, please, you know, give me 11, 11 all day, 11, take me straight to heaven. And this first run of it, this first 10 has been a deeply affecting tale about how these characters interact with the world around them, even when it's told from their point of view. And it's been a depiction of society from the vantage of a few people in almost like like in our town, old school, very staged kind of way that allows us to accept a society we're not a part of, accepting us as viewing it from within. I don't know. I just found the whole thing very powerful. How is everybody sitting at number 10 with the ultimate reveal of where this book was headed for Sins of Sinister? I, I got to say, I, I've loved every step of this book. Um, I know... A lot of it has been what we would think derailed by events, but I know Al Ewing really invites those events in and really works with them and really tells the story with them. So, like, what he has done with um, these characters, the voice he has for Storm is so close to that classic Claremontian voice for Storm, but also enhanced to me. I, I think it's... It's a, like a modern take of that Claremontian voice for her, which I, which I love. Um, I love 
every decision, every step she's made has been flawless. Uh, I having Abigail Brand reveal herself to be such a true villain is also like we always knew she was shady, but like this is like she's like sitting there with her white cat, white cat, like like I'll get you gadget. Yep. <laughs> the the whole time and I'm like, "Oh, okay, cool. I love this. Um, you know, the use of some of the characters like getting frenzy more screen time. Ooh, amazing. Love all of that." Is Beast her cat? But Beast- hold on, Nathan. I want to ask you this while because you just said it, I want to keep it fresh. Is Abigail another one like Margali Zardos who is bad but also like there's something she's working her own stuff. It's not just villainy. I mean, it is just villainy because it's selfishly motivated, right? Is the, th- is yeah. the thing. Like, yes, to her, she feels like she's maybe the hero of the story, but she's justifying what she believes as the greater good by literally constantly throwing people under the bus, assassinating people, committing genocides. Yeah. Like, this lady is full villainy. She's just the kind that doesn't think she is, you know? She's beast soulmate, yeah. clearly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're like a match made in hell. I think she thinks of herself as like like Charles Xavier thinks of himself sometimes, yeah. where where like she definitely thinks she's doing the right thing for the right reason. Her her reason is just wanting to be in control of everything, which yo know, I can respect. Whatever yeah. I can respect that, but like she only feels like well I'll be safe if she's completely in power, and that is that is the thesis of this book is that that is exactly the attractor of negative energy and evil is the which is which is all... of empty power. It's a lot to pin on this character because if you ask any other residents of the Marvel Universe that aren't on the X-Men, who Abigail Brand is, I think a lot of them would be like, wait, who? Ooh. Oh yeah, she's, she's you know, calling the shots for a galaxy. Like, it's a, it's a lot. Um, Carol but, knows who she is. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, Carol's almost like an unofficial X-Men, an X-Men adjacent. At this um, point, especially. Yeah, I, I love this. I mean... You know, I was singing the praises for uh, for Kieran Gillen, and for me, Al Ewing is the other one. Where those are the two poles around which this the last year of X Men comic books revolve around. Um, no disrespect to any of the other you know creators, but those are the two stories that I just kept going back to. And what a what a gift that he has taken these ten issues to give us new characters to reveal. So many reveals um, showing us the, what is the name of the, the little shadow cabinet of the Iraqi that Sunspot's now a the part night of? The, what? Mm, the Night the Seats. Thank you. The Night Seats. Um, just just an incredible book. And yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled that we're getting more of it. I'm thrilled that he has as much love for Storm as I think Claremont is, does, did, always will have. Um, and it really comes across. And if there's anyone that's going to save all of us, it may be Storm. That makes sense to me. I really love him putting Storm in the position of the the focus of this anti-monarchical bent that this book has been on. Um, you know, like from the beginning of Sword to now, there's been this drive against the hierarchy of power, against the idea of thrones or crowns or one person wielding absolute power. And that all comes to like, such a beautiful climax in the fight between Storm and Vulcan in this fight, which I, I do want to throw out there. I love this the fight between Storm and Vulcan, not least because it strongly to me had echoes of uh, Dream of the Endless and Lucifer's uh, story battle in Hell. I, it felt so much like that. 
from them throwing epithets at each other with power, like Storm, not a queen. Um, things like that. Just the the description of their own imaginative powers as the defining factors of what could win a battle between two people who are completely evenly matched. And then that clever reveal at the end that, no, strength is found in numbers and a community of like-minded people is always going to be more valuable in getting anything done than one person wielding all of the power with everybody as their subjects. And it was just such a beautiful closure to the themes that have been going on in this book and Storm and Vulcan's character arcs specifically. And it's such an interesting place to put Storm because we talk about her as the goddess. We talk about her as just like a queen of our hearts, like a queen of the X-Men. Like she really stands singular to a point where, uh, you know, it, it goes to the zone of like problematically putting her on a pedestal and problematically asking her to shoulder a lot of burden as one character. And I think the best writers do with Storm exactly what we're seeing here, which is have Storm always rise to the occasion, but never go into full like I should be queen mode like it's always I, I you know, I excel and I will do what is best, but Storm is always willing to share power, to give power, to lift somebody else up for that person's greater good and for the greater good of a community. And I think this book did a really good job of not making it, let's get a better queen, let's have it be Storm. And really having Storm come in and challenge the ideas while still being that person that we think of as just being the apex of mutantdom and of X-Men and of all the things that we love about these characters. And I think one of the standout things about this book is like Storm is someone we could write volumes about already. Storm is such a that character. I kind of sometimes didn't think Vulcan was really a fair equal for her. Like Vulcan kind of gets like propelled because he's from the white right family, the right, the white, the right white family that a woman of color would have to struggle to have this kind of authority in the X world for so many years. Vulcan's been around like 10, 15 years from an at the time, not the world's like I worked in a comic shop when Deadly Genesis came out. And like, I literally remember people being like, can I have my money back? It was so hard for fans to swallow at times. And because so people wanted X, you know, Adam X to be the third summer's brother or Gambit to be the third summer's brother. And And Adam X technically is. He's the ultimate baby. Like, yes. And I feel like the other characters in this book really fucking bang too. Like, love of my life, Beto, just being fucking A plus, 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 plus. And like, manifold. 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 Such and I would love to get your Thunderbird guys to, not is to, really awesome. Thunderbird. Yeah, let's. I would love Thunderbird to saying he's got two eyes. I got two fists. The math checks out. <laughs> Incredible. So good. Him We're and Cable just they could they yeah. could just fill a book. Yeah, I, I'm loving. So I'm digging about the, the other characters in the book. I'm digging the Taki yeah. love. Like, mm, like Taki really hasn't appeared much since the Exterminator days. Um, you know the original Exterminator days. Um, you know, a few backup stories here and there, but really yeah. sort of forgotten character. I-, I love how he's really become like one of the linchpins of this book. Um, you know, like we're talking about Abigail Grand, like he's 
almost seems to be a step ahead of Abigail Brand. And I love that Beto's always a step ahead of Abigail Brand. So it's like, yeah, like, yes, this is like this. The, the characters here are doing character work that has it's definitely been continued from their whole stories. Like Al Ewing is definitely somebody who loves comics, loves comics lore, oh, yeah. loves comic history, and definitely is trying to bring that forward. Um, I, and I love what he's giving us in Thunderbird, which is a character we've had, what, two issues of, like, before he died. We had maybe a handful of appearances that went in, like, expanded on his character, but we're, we're actually getting real um, character growth from this character who had, we've all known about for forever, but we haven't known. Arturo, I feel I, like I've had you on, like, read the least, maybe. So, like, talk to me. How about these characters in red for you? So, one thing I, I well, the character and the characters in the cast have been a blast. I love, you know, I love Deep Pools. I love WizKid getting getting a shine. I love WizKid being a double agent, no triple agent, no quadruple agent. Like, just awesome, awesome stuff all around. Um but I think the thing at the end of the day, like in the in like looking back on these ten issues, like the the big analysis of this, is we started off with this this premise that okay, now we have Mars, we have Araco, Storm Regent. Storm is the regent of the solar system, region of Soul, and right away we started subverting all your expectations. There are no thrones here. Um, the Iraqi that we've known from. You know, uh, X of Swords, I guess, right? Going back to X of Swords, um, warlike, and and all of that. It's like we're not going to just keep doing that. It's not just going to be Battle Planet. Um, but we got to see some texture. We got to see the Iraqi starting to like adapt and change, and that culminated here at the end with like you know, the power of teamwork and collaboration, and and how they're you know shifting with that. And I think even more significantly is maybe how much we've seen Storm, and I'm gonna pour one out for my boy Magneto, wearing this in memoriam today. So much with them, so much development, so much change and like a new perspective and Magneto and Storm pulling themselves out of the, the, the resurrection protocols. And like, it seemed kind of like why at the time and then we lost magneto and it was like devastating but there's there was reasoning to it and and they're better off for it and it just says a lot about those two characters specifically um yeah i just loved love this book give al yeah, ewing be... 90 more oh issues. yeah like the like magneto and storm like they they always had a really respectful relationship before coming into this um al ewing just took it to the next level like i if magneto ever comes back i i i would almost be like okay cool i could see aurora and um max being lovers you know like dump charles get with aurora but like <laughs> that's just to me because i but you know also their relationship is it's just became such a strong close bond um that where they'd put aside any of the differences they might have had from the past and yes, we always knew they worked well together, but mm, they did. And I love how the story of Magneto dying wasn't like a shock. If you go back and reread it, it's it's pretty 
foretold throughout not only uh, X-Men Red, but S.W.O.R.D. You know, um, I know, Steve, you were looking into a lot of that before, too. Like, um, but, you know, there's hints that Magneto's not going to make it through throughout the whole book. Yeah. And Magneto and Storm being my two very favorite X-Men characters, this book has been so special to me from the beginning, from S.W.O.R.D. to now. Um, and just like their friendship has always meant, meant so much to me and to, to each other in the comics, the way that Magneto died, it was just, it was so intense. And I just want to say here we are at the end of X-Men red number 10. There's more X-Men red to come, but this first stage of the story has completed maybe the second stage of the story, honestly. And I'm just at a point where I don't think I could have honestly asked myself, can can Storm and Magneto's characters be progressed in a meaningful way in the comics landscape as it stands in, in 2020, you know, or so. And I would have said, no, I don't, I don't think that there was anybody, including Claremont, who was going to meaningfully progress these characters into new bounds and new arcs and new interests, new hopes, and really like new ways of thinking for both of them, new ideologies, new beliefs, new ways of working. And Al Ewing has managed to do that through these first 10 issues of X-Men Red in ways I thought unimaginable, at least in the current comics landscape that we are dealing with right now at Marvel Comics. It's, well, it's... As we wrap up our discussion, oh, I'm so oh, sorry, yeah. we just got to wrap up Red because we got Sins of Sinister time. So as we wrap up Red, I'm going to do a call for last thoughts on X-Men Red. And I think we need to hear a, a fond goodbye from Arturo, who this is our last segment with him today, but we'll of course have him back as much as we possibly can. So everybody hit me with those last X-Men Red thoughts and Arturo, when you do, do me a favor and give everybody your social media so they can follow your fine face. Thanks, Nico. Um, give me more uh, Sunspot. Give me more of this. Give me more of everything. Al Ewing, Al Ewing holding it down. Um, love this book. This is a, a must read. Um, and follow me at Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram. And if you enjoyed X-Men Red number 10, uh, in like my recent photos, like maybe three or four photos ago, I have um, a recreation of Storm versus Falcon. so check that out that's awesome oh well so yeah next person for uh, final thoughts hit me okay so uh, this book is amazing the reveal at the end saw it saw it coming right like you know orbit stars it's sinister saw that saw that coming right it doesn't shock me but i do i i love the look of orbit stellaris under his mask um and I, I just gotta say, like, there is only one story that, like, we really haven't seen much of, or we haven't seen anything of, that I really want to see picked up at some point. I hope it's an X-Men Red, but it could also be somewhere else, is the Sunfire, the Sunfire story, where Sunfire moves to Araco, and he's supposed to be going to look for Red Root, but, like, we haven't seen that be mentioned since, what, number one-ish? I don't know. It's been a while, but I would love to see that story picked up. Um, in Al Ewing, I trust. Like, I, I just can't wait for more. I um, I'm gonna miss X Men Red for the couple of months it's on break. Uh, Storm and the Brotherhood will absolutely fill that gap for me. But I'm gonna miss Araco. I'm gonna miss all the Iraqi, and I can't wait to get more stories concerning them. The biggest thing I'm looking forward to next year, and with the coming of X Men Red and its return, is seeing more of Apocalypse, seeing more of Genesis. 
seeing more of literally all of my favorite mutants, all of whom are on a mentor or echo at this time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we we could see early on that this book was something really special. This team, you know, everything from sword onward really represented um something unique for the x-men that if we resolved every storyline that's happening on krakoa proper x-men in space still has like this life of its own that i think always fascinates us and ewing has really done the work of giving us new levels such that if and when we start to resolve Krakoa, you know, God forbid we ever go back to a more uh, standard Westchester-esque status quo, mutants in space would still have so many places to go that would be endlessly fascinating, endlessly justifiable. So, you know, I just think incredible work was done there. Um, I'm very excited. It's continuing again. My, my issues are editorial. It's sort of confusing when we hit this moment of tens across the board and then some stuff is coming back and some stuff isn't might have been a really good time just to kind of close off and start over again but that's okay because as long as the book is considering is continuing i am very happy to keep reading it uh and yeah i mean one last sinister in the mix uh i was really hoping that was going to be Catherine ann summers but you know Sinister is an acceptable alternative. Also, uh, that Sinister's cheekbones are out of this world. I don't know how I'll ever recover, but um, that is that is all I have to say about that. Um, we're having a little bit of technical trouble, but we are still going to move into Sins of Sinister and uh, get things going with that. So, Arturo, thank you so much for Bye, being with us. Bye, thank you all. It's been a blast always a pleasure it, it has and i think we are going to bring in miss raven for the sins of sinister oh hello there hello introduce yourself what i need an introduction <laughs> yes darling hello i'm raven aka dame red bento oh i'm sorry no sanguine spinner i don't know just find me online at this point i keep reinventing myself who knows you're like in essex it's so many identities is it a diamond is it a club you know I... what are what do we have going on here i swear it's like i i start to identify with him more and more and i'm like no no oh god no <laughs> oh no <laughs> Well, no matter what form your user handle takes shape, uh, you're still Raven underneath, just like Mystique. So no, always not. Thank you for recognizing this. We love you, doll. So you know, the moment we have all been waiting for—the recreation of the Hoxpox panel with Sinister in the Charles Xavier seat—is yeah. finally here. Uh, you know, honestly, no, I haven't been waiting for it. I was uh, not expecting Sins of Sinister. And as the event got closer and closer, I think I find myself continuing to disbelieve that this is the direction in a way that I both love and hate. But right off the back, how are, Bat, how are we all feeling about where we're going right now? I hate to admit I accidentally missed like a couple of comics. And so I was just like, oh, I have too much going on. So I just kind of put everything aside. And reading this... I now have to go back and read so many comics to catch up on what the hell just happened. Cause, huh? I'm intrigued, but I'm also, holy crap, what the hell? 
And I think that's like partially by design, right? I think a lot of people have been like, I'm, I'm giving up on some of these books. I can't do all of the X-Men. So when they throw out a crossover where it's just like, I actually now need to go back and read all the books I said I wasn't going to read because I need all the information. Mm-hmm. Brilliant marketing strategy. Stephen, Nathan, what are you thinking? I got to say, um, this issue overall is so fucking amazing. Like, I love the, it doesn't, it gives you all the, it gives you enough information to get your own answers, but it doesn't feed you all the answers on a lot of it. I know there were, there were panels that when we were reading it, Steve and I were like, wait, what is this about? And then, <laughs> like, usually one of us or the other one would be like, oh, okay, this is exactly what it is, or this is where I think this is coming from. So it's, it's cool it makes you do a lot of work and it's a dense book and i I definitely suggest if you have read it only once reread it like two or three times because there's gonna be a lot of stuff you're gonna miss yeah Yeah. i'm uh really enjoying it i'm a big fan of mr sinister and mr sinister type events uh i really love kieran gillen writing mr sinister so i'm winning all out with this book um i don't know I, i i really like it I feel unstressed. I feel unbothered. I feel relaxed reading this book. And it's great because this book would like super fucking stress me out. It did on the first read. Uh, when I got to that page, and we'll talk about it later, but when I got to that page with Ben Grimm, it really fucking stressed me the shit out. Like, I didn't like that at all. The nice thing is, unlike Judgment Day, which we went into, I wasn't sure if it was going to get reset. Like at certain points, it seemed like it absolutely was. And then things happened where it was like, all right no actually it won't and on and off and on and off and i was just stressed the whole time about what was going to stay and what was not going to stay i have by the grace of karen gillen and getting to know that we are going into an age of age of apocalypse homage event i feel unstressed i feel all of this will be wiped away maybe there'll be some nasty consequences i might lose one of my favorite murder lesbians by the end of it who knows but at the very bring least, back my wives at the very least ben Grimm is not gonna stay the worst piece of shit he could possibly be and definitely and not unbothered it feels great <laughs> nico welcome back we're so happy to see you um yeah you know, i got just i got more initial... life it was terrible <sighs> we are just uh doing that initial you know how are you feeling going into this you know my excitement for sins of sinister is that like i want an outcome and Kieran Gillen is so good at outcomes. And so that's that's it. That's like my goal. I want something to happen. That's it. That outcomes are her income. Yeah. Sorry. Because that's like it sounds so dumb, but like we've had so many events where we've walked away and been like, what the fuck happened? Yeah. Even if Judgment Day didn't like revolutionize the way I read comics, I feel results from it that I think at least change character narrative. Like, this has to be a payoff because one of the greatest sins of the Hickman era is that so little got paid off because it was meant to be shorter but deserved to run longer. And so, you know, when the outcome of the mystery isn't the same as the mystery setup, it can be really hard. But something that Kieran Gillen has shown that he can do so beautifully is take other people's bits and build a whole new Lego set out of it. And, uh, I'm I'm really excited to see how this Powers of Ten event, you know, by virtue of how it's working, complements back to Powers of Ten in such a beautiful way. There's a thoughtfulness to the construction that really has me eager to see how this reflection across Powers of Ten could have an effect on the X-Men. 
And one of my questions to kind of to the powers of 10 point of this is how much value is there for you guys in the speculative nature of alternate universe events like this, where we really get to see, um, you know, some alternative to the world and some in this case that it's really by Sinister's design that we're getting to see a world as controlled by Sinister do those elements, even though we know they'll be reset for the most part, do they have value to you as you go into reading something like this? Or is it just kind of like a lot of one-offs and you forget it? So, like, I think... Yes, with, absolutely. <laughs> I think with this, the good thing is, is yes, we, we, we are almost assured that it's going to be reset and, and there will probably mm -hmm. be some sort of ramifications. But unlike most AU tales, this like the save point is going to be like right now. So these are like, these are the characters we know and love and we are seeing their reactions to these events. So it's not like, you know, like what if a storm remained a thief or whatever, you know, and one of those type of what if stories, but it's like, it is a what if spinning directly out of here. And these are the characters we know and love and they are going to have the ramifications. It's just going to, be reset because somebody's going to kill a Moira at some point. It also makes me wonder, like, how long can a Moira clone live in this, the chamber thing? So, like, the, the there's engine. some weird stuff. Yeah, in the engine. Yeah. Moira, I, uh, Lesra. I'm absolutely here for oh, my, like, These kind of things are, like, catnip to me. You know, Earth-X, Age of X-Men, Age of X, Age of Apocalypse, the Exiles, Squadron Supreme, Heroes Reborn, both of them. I, I love this kind of shit. Um, because generally these kind of things, I feel like people often come away with them being like, well, in AU, none of it mattered at the end. So why even bother reading it? And it's like, that's such a impoverished way to look at reading a story to me. I mean, it's like, I don't know. That's like looking at a life and being like, well, a person dies. So what matter does their life have? You know, who cares? The main thing is the storytelling. I feel like AUs specifically, especially these kind of things, are so valuable if they are able to develop the themes of the current story that has been going and play with that and, you know, give us a little insight onto characters by putting them into situations they're never in. Show them extreme situations, put them in these extreme environments, see how they react to them. We get a sharpening of character. We get a deepening of our understanding of who these people are, even when they're not the same people or not in the same universe. And it is always an opportunity to subvert and play with, you know, the the ongoing themes of what is happening. And I think that we've built up a lot over the course of the Destiny of X storyline between Legion of X, X-Men Red, and Immortal X-Men to do a lot of play. Raven, where are you at with the AUs? I, I, I actually kind of really enjoyed the the predictive arcs that they did in this comic because it sort of gave us a, oh yeah, you remember the time we did this? And the, oh yeah, you remember the time we did this? Well, here's how that arc would have progressed. And I'm like, thank you. Because some of those arcs, I'm like, where? Where is, where would the story have gone? Like, seriously. It's like, it was interesting to see these projections. And it was a lot of fun. But it also kind of reminded me that, like, Defenders and Defenders Beyond uh, touched on these matters. Like, you know, what is this character? Is it just the archetype? Is it always the same thing? Are you allowed to actually uh, progress and move a character type forward? Can they be good? Can they be bad? Do they flow between the two? I love the fact that we're not getting static characters, but we are getting familiar characters 
who are constantly kind of being reworked. And I love the fact that Sinister's at the heart of this because he is that much of a megalomaniac. He is that much of a narcissist. He's so much of a narcissist that he actually trusted his own creation, <laughs> which is very much a part of him. I'm like, oh my god, you no. <laughs> and then he he comes back to no Moira engine and he's trapped. And I'm like, yes, of course you're trapped, you dingbat. I love it. I love this. I really do. I really I enjoyed it way more than I thought I was going to. Well, we are going to really come at this from a lot of angles over the next few months. Um, that is why, you know, we had another issue that we could have talked about today. We decided that we were going to space things out a little bit so we could always keep coming back to this. So I know we are a little short on this segment, but we do have so many beautiful women to talk about in Exterminators. So for now, you know, we talked about where we're, we were at going into this. And as we get into Last Thoughts, I want to know what are your hopes and dreams as we go through this series? Uh, you know, I I missed most of the conversation, which makes me so sad because I'm sure it was like amazing. I'm sure this was just like, oh, not the one to miss. Not that there are any to miss, but, uh, you know, it's a shame. But, you know, I am here for the ride. That's it. Like, I'm here for the ride. Uh, I'm with everybody on like you learn so much from mirror versions of yourself. It's not just about canon. It's about how the bigger picture informs it. And I'm just really excited to see how... Kieran Gillen is going to make this mirror reflect so beautifully what's been going on in the state of X, not just as he's been designing it, but as he inherited it and has been working with it. It's really cool. Yeah. Uh, speaking of mirror universes, <laughs> speaking of mirror universes, I am excited for everybody in Sins of Sinister to find out that they are actually bisexual, just like happens in <laughs> That is that's a sinister the, world. That's Straight that's the real never. point of AU is to show you that you could be bi if you were yep. just a little more evil. Yep. <laughs> just a little bit more evil. Yeah. Uh, I, I gotta say, like, a lot of the choices that have been made in this first issue really have me excited to see how this event plays out. Like, sure, we all know there might be some ramifications, but, you know, this is not going to play out like that. But, like, just the, the idea of, you know, poor Kane going through the universe having killed Thanos and like it's like <laughs> and just like you know Namor having have been killed and replaced by Krakow and Cologne uh, at least he got to have sex with Emma presumably I'm guessing before he died but you know if not mm, uh, does he really deserve it I don't know but like um it, it's it's really cool that there's in the Fantastic Four bit broke my heart like mm. Ingram killing his team, like, mm, like I mean, it's good, but like, it's also like horrifying and terrible. Um, the idea of the selective X gene, like, just all of it, like, storm throughout this. It's, it's like all the pieces are really well put into place. I, I hope if we get something out of this that'll be like permanent. I hope we get Rasputin for like to come back and like to be like a for real living character in six one six now, but. You know, uh, otherwise, I, I'm kind of along for the ride. I, I kind of gave up on trying to predict where Kieran Gillen's going to go with something because Judgment Day, like, threw my expectations even more than Ten of Swords did. And, you know, I was along for the ride and I loved it. And, you know, there were points where I was like, wait, what? But also there was just so much that was so good that 
I I'm here for it. Rasputin 4 lives. We're getting that in the chat. Yeah. Raven, what about you? Last thoughts? I can't wait to see where this goes. Like, quite honestly. Like, I, I like the fact that it's not going to be Heroes Arc yet again. It feels like this is going to be a villain era, and I'm kind of here for it. Well, I can't wait to keep talking about this with you guys. I also can't wait to talk about some exterminators. But before we get there, oh, and also, I want to give Steve a chance to sign off. Yep. Oh, uh, yes. Goodbye, everybody. It's been wonderful as always. Until the next time the diamond shines. My name is Steve, <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at Howdy Duda. Bye. And I think we're going to take a little break and be back to talk about some uh, grindhouse ladies doing their thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. But until then, please enjoy these awesome commercials. Like, subscribe, follow, and do the fucking thing. <laughs> Woo! I'm I'm a contributor here. I'm not I'm not leading this motherfucker. I just ah. get to do one thing. And that's one thing only. I just get to be like, "Hey girl, missed you." That's you, Tori. <laughs> oh, hi. <laughs> Introduce yourself. I was like, Tori. "I know it was oh, me." Oh, I, well, someone else was talking. Gracious. <laughs> hi, I'm Tori. You can find me on the Twitter at Tori underscore Sheen and on Instagram at SMTori. That's Tori with an I. Uh, and all I've been doing is just humming the the boom, 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 boom song all day because this is just oh. a joy. I'm, oh, I'm because... so sorry, Tori. What's What's right below your What's right below your 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 chest line? <gasps> merch. X is for podcast merch. Oh, look just at a that swag. Oh, you know, just, just a little a, something I picked up before. Just a little <laughs> something that's available. If you yeah. uh, check out xisforpodcast.com and you want to know a little bit more, you should definitely go pick up that amazing shirt. Okay, oh, yeah. I'm done. Uh, <laughs> from that top to this top to that top. <laughs> Nathan, I'm going to pass you the mic. <laughs> All right, babies, let's get disco fied. So, first off, we got Jonah back. Welcome back, Jonah. Hello, everyone. Yay. Boom, okay. boom, boom. I'm happy to be in this room. <laughs> and I'm glad that y'all have boom, boom, boom stuck in your head because for, until Sins of Sinister is over, I'm going to have like Abba's SOS stuck in my head, like, like insanely. <laughs> like, we were covering it. I'm like, SOS and I'm like, okay, stop, Nathan, stop. But um, but yes, I'm playing the Riri one for the Super Bowl. Oh well, yeah, 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 yeah. It's the superb owl, please. We don't need to be chased down by the NFL. But we're talking about a different big game today. Yeah, we are talking about the biggest game of all. Exterminators! Like a costume game where you don't change for a week. But then you become a cute slutty witch i i just everything about this whole thing is everything i've ever wanted to see in in a in a next title it's it's every like slice of life times 10 girls doing girl things exactly revenge i was in love in love Mm -hmm. laughing my head off oh my god yes like the only thing that really 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 pisses me off the most about the x-men vote is that we're likely to lose one of these numbers to the X-Men team and not be able to have a full like exterminators book going forward, which 
It's my absolute dream. So the hell we will get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> I, if I got to show up, I will show up. They will not be happy with my ass. This so, book was too damn good. <laughs> so Leah Williams, the writer for this superb, beautiful masterpiece. Uh, penciler inkler is Carlos Gomez has to be probably one of the horniest artists out there yeah. love it like, like in uh, such a good way yeah looking like respectfully, respectfully like, horny. Res- like we stand a respectfully horny artist okay absolutely absolutely um colorist is brian valenza and letter is vc's travis lanham so mm, i just gotta like i i don't think you can talk about this book without really like highlighting the art like the story is beautiful it's fun i love it but the the art on this elevates it to the absolute next level from tabby's like i don't know how else to say this but her her bimbo outfit which is her mm, bimbofication tabby's bimbofication like mm, i'm here for it like jubilee jubilee's sexy (laughs) looks that are like like they fit jubilee but like they like she's got the big oversized sweater and the like the, the stockings with garters. Garters, like sexy Twitch streamer all over this. Right? Yes. Yeah. Oh my god. So that. Yeah. Oh my fucking stockings she, with she, garters. She's a visco girl. She is yeah. such a visco girl. I'm yes. just like, yeah. really? I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Dazzler Especially looking... that last look. Oh Woo. god, yeah. <laughs> Dazzler looking like she's like. Uh, sexy Blair from Facts of Life oh half the time God. like right. to like Laura's like journey from like oh I fucking hate these girls to like it's Bureau Clock's like what? <laughs> and, I don't know you know at the end of the day <laughs> for all the sexiness that we get from these women who are just looking so hot you know that it is an equal opportunity thing because we get Gambit in that baseball scene at the very end, just like objectified to a level oh, yeah. that I, and I love every minute of it. I'm just saying yeah. that, you know, this is a very equal opportunity. Everybody as sexy as possible. Doesn't matter who it is. I hate myself. Cause I don't look like this. Um, <laughs> and I just, I, I really appreciated Gambit for, for being the himbo we need. How is he alive? I don't know. <laughs> It's, it's all the good juice. It's all the good juice. Um, I love that it's girl on girl objectification. This is shit you yes. say to your girlfriends all the time, where you're just like, "Have you been working out? I heard weight training was good for that peach." Like just <laughs> nonstop. Oh, I I accidentally hurt your boob. Slam the other one. You know, like it's, it's all of that. Where I'm just like, at no point do I feel like, ew, ew how dare these these people write this? I'm all over it. And one moment that really killed that for me was Mystique, Emma, and Kitty laughing at the girls talking. Like, you know, everybody thinks this is funny. It's uncomfortable because Charles fucking makes it uncomfortable, whatever. But like, (laughs) even the girls on the Quiet Council are like, this is so dumb and funny. And I'm screaming at it. And I'm just like, I think Charles is the only non-Yassified character here. Like over there. And then it's all the girls and they're all in it to win. Even Storm is like, listen, we don't need this, but I'm interested. (laughs) (laughs) Charles trying to be all serious. Everybody else, Charlie, come on. (laughs) 
Because, like, if it was Logan and Logan walked in the fucking room and was like, it's beer o'clock, boys. We'd be fine right. with it. Yeah. Right. If, there was, it. if it was like, you bastards, we'd be fine with it, too. And I, like, look, I have trauma. I have a lot of trauma. I'm, you know, like another, like any other human being. I, I wear my scars. And, like, that's a thing we do. But, you know... You know, no matter how traumatized I am, I do still like to sit back with my friends and have a good fucking time. And, like, I've seen a lot of people being like, Laura would never say that. And I just want to be like, Bullshit. Listen, the fictional character <laughs> written by many, many people who is not a human being, but is a character and is not the woman you decide she is, but is an amalgamation of the many thoughts that the many women and men who have written her have had. Yes. I really do think Laura would just fucking have a good time because she's also Logan's kid. And she's yes. also, you know, Akihiro's sister. And she's also the one who helped Gabby be the funnest fucking character in the Marvel Universe. And a big part just of Laura's whole Laura. arc is exactly this. She doesn't just want to be miserable Wolverine. Right? She wants to be a, a fucking real person. And, you know, yeah, it's... This all it always goes back to the scene from Avengers, uh, from Endgame, with all of the women grouping up to fight, and so many people having this attitude of that would never. This is so unnatural. Oh, in the movie with the aliens, this is the unnatural thing that you can't handle. How many right. bad twenty men on camera scenes have we seen? Yes, yeah, some of this is like not, not the funniest jokes of all time, but they're jokes that I believe two people would say to each other. And a lot of the male-on-male -male dialogue that is 99% of comics does not pass that test. Yeah. Yeah. Here's, here's what I, I love about this, this book and this arc, right? Um, is that Leah took what Leah's been taking recently, taking trauma and trying to find a way to work through it. And these characters all sort of just helped each other through it. And the fact that Laura was able to find a group of ladies that she is comfortable enough to be her to let her silly goofy side out really just speaks so much to the journey that they went on with this because laura is sometimes like a little bit like wharf where she's like oh wolverines don't act like this <laughs> she's like wolverines don't act like this and like wolverines are over there just like getting drunk and having a good time and she's like wolverines are serious we're so grumpy so like like for her to be able to let loose and <laughs> just uh, have a good time. So good. lest we forget her father making a reference to seeing Scott in a speedo. I'm pretty sure it's yeah. fine that Laura's like, "Hey, sluts." And lest I, we forget that she <laughs> was told that she stunk exactly like her father. I think yeah. that's what changed her. So, Oh, no, I'm not going to be my dad. Mm -mm, nope. I mean, um, when she smiles, my whole heart just lights up like nothing else. Um, there is something to say that Laura, and we, we even see it in this comic, Laura by herself fighting until the other girls show up is very different where literally her yeah. entire demeanor changes and she literally just brightens up. It's like, hi, friends. She literally like has the opportunity to be giddy and realize, oh, it doesn't have to be this serious. We can, we can all have a good time here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, I, I just want to say Ali Galactic, who I believe is here as a result of being, you know, a, a four voice on 
X Twitter and uh, checking out our stream and is uh, friends with the incredible people on this panel like Nathan and Steve has been blowing it away with amazing takes in the group chat like yes. Laura went from not understanding who she was to accepting the mantle of Wolverine to living with the pressure of what that meant and now she's finally able to decompress and let herself shine it's beautiful amen 10,000% or beautiful. a women a women <laughs> this is an a force world <laughs> oh god if only I miss a force oh my god a force mm. Like and this book really speaks to that. Like there is, there is so much space available for all woman books and all woman teams. And it's just so silly to think that any strike against this book proves that it doesn't work. This is such a great book. It is not perfect, but we never get the chance to have great books with women, let alone like bad ones. We have to get to run the gamut. And I just really feel like the, to me, what was so exciting about this was that it was everything that we just let pass in male dominated comics. But woman dominated. That's it. That's all yeah. it was. And it just works so well. Leah Williams knows exactly how to write that. And, and it wasn't. Oh, go ahead, Nathan. No, go for it. I, I was just going to say that it was also really great for me that we didn't just get like these four ladies by bringing them back to Krakoa. We got to yes. see Rogue being a teacher. We got to see the Quiet Council ladies being informed in justice. We got to see them crawling around in the baseball field. Like, there's so many more other things that these women characters are doing in these comics that isn't just getting kidnapped, forced to survive, looking like that, but enjoying themselves. We you saw know? Betsy and Rachel. Yeah, you know, we did. Yes. Are they gay? Is yeah, they are gay. They're gay together. Oh, it's so the best nice. thing. It's so nice. It's yeah. But no, like, like a huge thing to me was the fact that there was vengeance in the book. Yeah. But it wasn't vengeance written by a man. It was vengeance written from a very feminine place, which you don't see often. Like, if it was male vengeance, oh yeah, they would have tracked him down. They would have kicked his ass. <laughs> they they would you know, just beat gay. him bloody within an inch of his life feminine revenge i bought your bar and we are demolishing it we are shutting <laughs> your shit down we are taking away your joy we are making sure you can never do this to somebody else again we're gonna humiliate you and then we're gonna hand you over to your granddad and we're gonna let that? every lady that you screwed over be yes! part of us and it's not just me. It's everybody. Oh, I loved it. I've watched that episode of Catfish a few times. <laughs> Back to the uh, granddad point for a quick second. So yeah. impressed with Leah Williams for picking up the ball that Aaron has really run with uh, as far as yes. vampires go. Like, even, you know, this is a cool vampire story. It could have just been cool vampires uh, as enemies with no background. But the fact that this really ties into what's going on with vampire culture as built up by Aaron in a way that bolsters the entire Marvel universe conception of what vampires are, are doing right now, who the big characters are and like even little cultural things like asking for a boon. She got every single beat. And this is like a formative story for any vampire lore that's going to come up and better than Wolverine. Oh yeah. 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 Better. I would have, like, you know, personally loved if while they're on trial boom boom was like i will call elsa on speed dial right now don't, don't test me don't test me <laughs> exterminators 2 needs elsa 
yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. oh yeah. Like when she, when she added at the end of A Force, I was like, mm, love this. Like, wish it would have continued. Wish, wish Civil War Two hadn't just derailed that story. But um, I, I gotta say, like, I I know we all are very positive on this book. I have seen surprising a lot, surprisingly a lot of um, negative attention from some of the comics fans out there. I, oh, I'm I, not surprised at all. I was gonna say, are we surprised or are we no. just disappointed? I, I like, think I've seen them and, and their arguments hold so little water, yeah. but it also really, really shows where their personal points yeah. are coming from because it is so privileged that the, oh, I just can't, I just, I just can't relate to this book. Oh, really? Maybe because you are male, raised in a male world that is catered to male comic book fans. And this is what women go through and what femme presenting and AFAB people would like do and how they would process and how they go through things. Oh my God, it's not a book for you. Boo fucking who, move over. I've got shit to read and titties to respectfully ogle. It's crazy that these people don't have the money to buy a book they don't want, but they've got all the fucking time to complain about it. Right? <laughs> well, and, you know, I think the argument, too, is like, this isn't a book for you, and that's actually why it's successful. Not every book right. needs to be for you, yeah. and it's not a failure when it doesn't appeal to everybody. Sometimes the most successful thing a book can do is not be relatable to a person to whom it should not be relatable because it's not their story. <laughs> that is not a failure. That is a feature, yeah. not a bug. Yes. Yeah. And I, I like the, the weird online criticism I've seen. Uh, one of the, one, one of the, you know, parents was like, Oh, how do we know this is for, I was like, it says parental advisors on the front of it. It was like, how do you, how do we know this is not for kids? And, and their, their complaint was, when, <laughs> their, their complaint was when Laura said it's bureau clock sluts. And I was like, you know, there's a lot, more <sighs> questionable adult content than Laura saying it's Bureau Clock. She what? has knife hands. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, I mean, as a person who um, we had talked about Exterminators 1 before, I was actually very disappointed that we were censoring out cuss words and things yep. like that. And I think, I think maybe possibly if we hadn't still been doing that, it's possible that that it's beer clock sluts wouldn't have been so shocking because we'd been cutting out all kinds of words before then that were mm -hmm. uh, historically societally der derogatory towards women. And, uh, but I also just think that they need to, you know, over up and get over it. So yes. 50 50 on that one. Mm -hmm. So I I've got to ask if they were to put out another volume two of exterminators, who would be there for it? And and are there any additions that you would like to see to the team? Um, I, I know personally, I, I, I definitely I'm here for it. Like if you were doing Vampire Hunters, I know Jonah, you had mentioned her too, but like you got to add Elsa in. Like just like the, the fun that that. Add her be. anywhere. I'm literally begging. I'm I'm driving a drought. Please, put her anywhere. Guys, there's only one woman in the entire Marvel universe, truly unhinged and powerful enough to be a member of the Exterminators. Uh-oh. And she's going to leave you spellbound. <gasps> oh, my God. I think Erica needs to find oh. her sexy ass over here. She's just crazy enough 
you know, Spellbound is the un, unsung work by Wheezy Simonson that, like, when I read it and asked you guys to read it, what? Stop. Kevin's saying stop. It is. Alert. Alert. I, everybody please needs to go out and read this. It is yeah. truly a fever Ooh. dream. Ooh. We covered it on audio. And my only regret is that it wasn't on video because we laughed and <laughs> joyously laughed. It wasn't mocking the work. It was interacting with the cracked outness. And this book had all the same magical cracked outness. And I just like, I don't know. A joke I make a lot is that I never understood a joke because I'm making fun of the world, not the situation. But like, I never understood that there was a dearth of female comic writers as a little kid because I had Wheezy Simonson and Ann Nacenti, and there weren't a lot of other names that were, and like June, uh, June Brigham, and like there weren't a lot of names, or is it Brightman? And now I'm really embarrassed on air. But um, it's, <laughs> you know, you get used to seeing these names, so you don't process that that woman's name, Glennis Oliver means that she's so uncommon and so the women i grew up reading writing these comics i now see their work and their mark on a generation of women who are now writing comics as well and they are still the minority but there's not this sad minority it's this like proud thing that as fans we can champion and we can love and like i'm just so grateful that i live in a world where you know this book can exist because it feels in a lot of ways like it's designed maybe a little bit like it shouldn't so it's just nice that it did and you know how you could easily fix the Erica problem? You could just say, you know, like, I know her series spent a lot of time saying, I'm not a mutant, but you could just say, oh, she's wrong. Oh, yeah. It was anti-mutant propaganda. Mutant. Yeah. 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 She's she a mutant. Was, she was self-hating. It's fine. She's over yeah. it now. She was like a Wanda, but in reverse. Yeah. <laughs> Wanda! <laughs> um, I would absolutely buy the next copy of this or the next uh volume of this i i actually do also want to commend it i think this is a perfect use of a mini um i am really glad that this was not a you know ongoing question mark that was 12 it was kind of an event it was a really contained story i would definitely take another one um we do need to get used to the world of minis and that's totally okay uh knights of x was a great five issues it just the expectations game was really rough on that one Mm. um this is a perfect perfect mini i would take five of them i think it's really fantastic and i hope that this can sort of set the tone for great writers getting to say this is who i am these are the mutants that i think i can write really well this is five issues i want to tell let's do it i we have so much room for that on krakoa Mm-hmm. I just before we keep going, I just want to say one of our our, our devoted listener, Ali, has been uh, listening all yeah. day devotedly, and uh, there's no way I'm not reading Love this it. before moving yeah. on from Exterminators. Can we take a moment to appreciate? I'm going to say stake a moment because I really think it's vampires. Can we <laughs> yeah. stake a moment uh, to appreciate Jubilee finally getting taken seriously and leveling up? No one can ever call her weak or useless again. She's an atom bomb of joy, and I love that on her. Well, for her, but I also love it on her. No. <laughs> and, uh, Jubilee is a is is a Alt. great yeah. <laughs> Jubilee, <Alt queen. laughs> she really she really blew the competition away. Yeah, yeah. I, and I you do... know this is what we were promised since the nineties. Oh, yeah. I get so emotional whenever we talk about Jubilee. Um, <laughs> Every time we... I think of her. I loved it for her. We were promised that she was really powerful and important, and that would become relevant one day. And pay it off, guys. Now's the time. 
I, I think it was great to have a story of her being an adult, but not with Shogo. Like we we all know Shogo is off another world right now, but like mm -hmm. just the fact that all of her stories lately have been like, oh, she's a mom. It, it's kind of like she fell into the same track megan fell into a lot where like megan is just oh she's a mom and she she can't really be a superhero like so i love that leo was able to bring her in make her grown up make her a fully realized person make her have her own wants and needs outside of just her kid and to level up her power and like you said deliver on that promise that we were always promised that you know jubilee is able to detonate things on an atomic level and just to actually see a lot of that potential realized it's amazing um i was really happy with the, the girls in this group the the it's was truly amazing the character i had my uh very big eye on was boom boom i've been disappointed with the lack of boom boom content we've got i thought uh in earlier days when she showed up in new mutants uh you know crying in sam's room going to save beak and tempest family it was one of those where i was like okay th this give me give me more of her because i always look at boom boom as a hyper characterization of the idea of the ditzy 16 year old at her sweet 16 and she's so much more encompassing that that i think she's such a fun character that we get to utilize and seeing her kind of leah williams really showed off like how well boom boom can thrive in an environment like this and I was just so happy that like she was just she was just everything to me in this book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I loved her a lot, having known the least about her out of out of the four. Um, and I just I, I found her so delightful. And I found that even when people were calling her dumb, it was in a loving way. It was in a you're so fucking dumb. Like, come on, honey, let's go. <laughs> And, and, and again, I love how Leo was able to use not only the fun, uh, hyper-sexual, hyper-drunk version of her, but also bring some of the smarts and intelligence that she does have as a character back into it to, to again, make her a fully 3D character and not just, like, that one note that sometimes she has been lately where, oh, my God, she's a lot of fun, but, like, mm -hmm. she's also fun and sensitive and caring and kind and smart she's even though she does something out they're in a thing she's the one yep. who figures out they're she's in a intelligent mm -hmm. yes I, 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 I love the fact that she can be a bimbo and ditzy and just like common sense sometimes eludes her and higher higher sciences definitely elude her but she is so brilliant at just certain things like oh yeah plumbing we can flush this shit. It's one of my worst <laughs> ideas, but we can flush this shit. Like, she is intelligent, and she... Like, I love the fact that she doesn't just get pigeonholed as, oh, you're the dumb blonde. You're the one that we've got to make sure doesn't die by stopping, you know, thought process on breathing or some shit. Like, she is smart, and they do... They do show her for, like, the best parts of her they let all of the characters shine and honestly if we get a second exterminators i want to see bay on the team oh, yes. yes. so bad. i want her outside of the box that they've kind of put her in where she's foreign and and you know she has to be understood as just just this kind of a hulking brute 
a lot of the time. I want to see her on a girls' night that she doesn't understand, but they bring her in and they help explain to her, yeah, this is a girls' night. This is kind of like what we do and how we have fun. And, you know, and I'd love to see small misunderstandings that turn into like greater respect for each other as, as femme presenting people. I want to see that so badly. Yeah. It, it's, it's so, it's just, it's, this has been a joyous read for me. Like every, every issue I've gotten, like you think like, Oh cool. Yeah. I'm going to be excited for, this coming out because oh dazzler's in it but like i like the greatest part of it wasn't even any of the individual characters it was uh, just the whole joyous feel of the, the joy the joy it was just like yeah it was a fun read like it was you know it's not some books you get into and you're like oh this is gonna be such a slog because there's gonna be a lot of words and you're gonna have to do this and then like uh and sometimes when you're like oh this is gonna be a fun book like I haven't had this kind of fun with a book since the first run of Savage Avengers, where it was just like buckets of blood, buckets murder. Of blood. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Bucket, got the buckets of blood. Sorry. And Frank Castle is talking about his family the entire time, and half his dialogue reads <laughs> family. Um, I uh, one of my I just want to talk about a very specific boom moment is when she's like, "Oh, I'll give him a show." And then she's like going to reveal, and then it's just a, a flash, and not the way you expect. And, um, personally, I thought it was just so, like, everything of the entire artistic team coming together to create a moment like that, where I'm like, that is so insanely creative of, like, how to do something like this in a comic, how to really utilize this medium. Um, and to answer Nathan's question that he was said previously, if I, if I can have a random pick, and it's not specifically a mutant, but she has some ties to the X-Men, I think, um, give me Wave. Ooh, okay. Give me Pearl. Okay. All right. Good choice. Ooh, that could be very interesting. Well, she's with Bishop. Speaking... It's fine. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, speaking of adding people unexpectedly to something, we have a, a little outro event we were going to do, and if uh, our bottom row, Tori, Raven, and Jonah would like to stay, it's just a quick tour through all of the named and eponymously named at that. Age of events. Uh, and just a, a quick little look at these uh, uh, crazy motherfuckers as they've occurred. Uh, starting with the one and only Age of Apocalypse. So if Kevo would please bring up that first slide. Now, I can't even tell you how fucking cool Kevo's graphics are. I love that he was able to get these hardcovers together uh, for this graphic. Right. So, of course, by the way, if anybody is like, no, I can't do the post show. I'm out. I, I love you. And you, you can you can flee. Um, but, uh, well, I'm sick of a lot of this. Well, so in the sharing this with Nathan, Nathan was immediately like, um, you made an error. And I can't wait to get to that slide because Nathan, <laughs> it's not an error. I just refuse to be repetitive. <laughs> so, so I told him not right. And that's what it is. It's just not right. So I want to kick things off with the very first one, Age of Apocalypse. The Age of Apocalypse first appeared in December of 1994, and the character, okay, Apocalypse first appears in X-Factor number 5 in June of 1986. However, it has since been revealed that the Marvel graphic novel number 17 from October of 1985 features a character who was later retconned to be Apocalypse. Oh. So technically, in the way that you want to count, like, you know... 
Kang and Immortus as one person in some ways. This is their first appearance as like a, a, a single being. How do you guys feel about Age of Apocalypse? You know, Nathan, Nathan, I can't imagine that you uh, have any opinions on it, Dazzler AOA. <laughs> no, not at all. Like, I never read the event. Like, no, no. Okay, so like, to me, this is probably my like formative event for comics it's um like right at about the time i started knowing enough about what was going on in the books to actually like follow a line wide event um and be able to be like oh my god this is so cool this is so different like yada 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 it really established my love for au events um you know going back and rereading through x-men as you find them so however you find them like i was able to pick up a copy of days of future past and i was like mm, this is so great and it like built upon the love of that and i've always been drawn to dark au's like that like in star trek like yesterday's enterprise is probably one of my favorite episodes just because um you know the weird tasha yar comes back and she's not dead episode but like they're in the big war so like i, I just i love those types of things and um i think this really started my love of that now, how about the rest of you? Do the rest of you have any relationship with AOA or Apocalypse? I know we've already gotten uh, earlier uh, presenting hottie uh, Arturo uh, said Blue Dad forever. And of course, now uh, chat staple Ali Galactic uh, rang in with always more Blue Dad. So how about the rest of you? Blue Dad, Blue Dad's bad world. You know, how do you guys feel about AOA and the A himself? Th this was one of definitely a formative event for me and i had gotten into comic books only three years before um uh, aoa came out so yes i was alive when those things were coming out i had to convince my parents to go to the comic book store with my two dollar a week allowance so that i could pick up each of these books and i did so many extra chores to get every <laughs> single one of these books and i loved them so damn much it was such an interesting look because i had only read you know x-men where everybody's good and yes you have a clear villain and you know the good guys are the good guys the bad guys are the bad guys and it was very it, there wasn't a lot of high thinking i was a child at that point so not a lot of high thinking so it was just like oh shiny colors and powers yes but like aoa started really making me think about these characters and could they be good or are they bad do they have that potential it's where i saw dark beast and i'm like oh you're right there is that potential for hank to go bad in a lot a lot of ways and hey, not everybody is, right and like not everybody is as good or as bad as as you know just their baseline is there's potential to go either which way so i loved age of apocalypse it was a fantastic way to make me think about how these characters are and yeah. what they could potentially be it, it was bonkers that they just like ali was saying in the chat like that it just like launched right into it like and you really had no way of knowing what it was like going into it like there's there's certain things like that i'm like like i was just thinking about this last night i was i was rewatching an old episode of star trek i was like if you had like 
it, remembering that feeling when you go into this event, you have no idea what's going to happen. You are experiencing it real time. It's crazy. Um, I, I remember I was I was a kid too, and like I didn't have money for all the books, so it was one of those ones where they sort of became interconnected. So some some of them I was like, oh wait, I missed what happened in Wolverine. I guess I got to go try to figure that out sometime soon, or like you know like oh, cool, this happened here, and this happened here, and they continued it. And I was like, oh, this is such a great beat. And it, it really gave me my first real taste of stereotyped storytelling. Now, Tori and Jonah, I know that Age of Apocalypse is kind of like a, a blank spot in uh, your comic knowledge. So no judgment. Everybody's got their, everybody's got their events. Is, is this why they went so hard on Apocalypse in the cartoon? Um, synergistically, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, the cartoon actually technically came out before. Yeah, yeah. didn't didn't the One yeah. Man's Worth come out before Age of Apocalypse? So it kind of yes. like yeah. So uh, X Men originally came out in 1991, if I'm not mistaken. Right, but the um, later seasons had the whole thing. Yeah, they they did a lot of pivoting from what was in the comic books versus what was on the series the the cartoon series and in some ways they kind of influenced each other so it was really yeah. interesting to kind of see like who was who was going to win the hard comic book version or the slightly more mustache twirly uh yeah. cartoon version yeah tori yeah. you know how like chicken gets uh like disintegrated into pink paste and then we reform it into the shape of chickens love it <laughs> It's still chicken. It's still all the same parts. It's just mm -hmm. like what it is is maybe technically not the same. Mm -hmm. The nugget right? is my favorite part of the chicken. It's Truly. True. Now, you know, this next slide, uh, Kevo, if you would bring us to our next reality. Jonah, I know that you didn't have too much knowledge on the Age of Apocalypse, but shortly after the Age of Apocalypse, we came upon the House of M, which... Another one you're not too familiar with, but I do know that these three characters have become such a huge thing for you in particular, you know, Wanda, Quicksilver, Magneto. And I'm curious to know how you feel about what you know about House of M and the way it impacted the Marvel Universe, like M Day. So I think this is what happened. One day, Wanda was like, I don't know what's wrong. I'm going to make everything my own way that i want because i think this will work out and so she did some she did some circles she did some magic she did some chaos and then everyone was like everyone's a mutant and mutants are in charge and you have to deal with it and everyone was like okay wanda sure we have to go along with this because we don't know what's going on anymore and then someone i don't know who broke through and was like no this isn't right we shouldn't have to be in charge and they were like, no, I'm in charge now. <laughs> Charles was in charge before, and now I am. This is all she's saying. This Wait, did you topic. just say Carlos and Carga? Yeah, Carlos and Carga. <laughs> um, I just need to jump in. I love that this is the narrative that people have spun. Quicksilver caused the House of M using his sister. <laughs> oh, so Quicksilver was like, yeah. I'm going to do this real quick. That's his catchphrase. I'm going to do this real do you quick. Guys, do you guys hear the slander on my poor girl? Do you hear the slander on my poor woman? Yeah. Well, it's... Way to take away her agency. Well, well it, all, it, is. <laughs> it all started when somebody decided, hey, let's just assemble the Avengers and ruin Wanda as a character. <laughs> 
And then... <laughs> and we've been and then, trying to undo the damage ever since. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, cool. Let's have Magneto go rescue Wanda from the Avengers in the last issue of the Genosian Alex Caliber. And, and then it was like, oh, cool. Let's ruin Wanda even more. <laughs> like... And then she banged Doom. Yeah. Yeah, no more mutants. The amount of Wanda slander. Like, seriously. The poor girl. Really? Is she, is, are they, is she no longer a mutant? Is that what I was reading? No. When I was hysterically trying to figure out if who's, who their mother was? Okay. I just don't accept it. She's a mutant. Quicksilver's yeah. a mutant. They're so, confused in the X office. It's fine. Yes, they so are. So she's technically not a mutant, but like personally... Personally, I think she just used her powers to make herself not a mutant and create a family that existed not before. So, like, she she just, like, used her reality warping powers to create a new reality, which says a lot for herself. But, like, uh, so, yeah. If if Mag if Quicksilver is not Magneto's son, why does he look, not, why does he look exactly like Magneto? Uh, I, I have to imagine it's the same plastic surgeon that... Uh you know, is responsible for every one of these characters who had to have served in World War II still <laughs> looking fucking super zaddy all the time. So. I, I was, I had to confirm something. I got confused because I thought something about um, House of M had to deal with the Mutant Liberation Force. And then I realized that that, uh, they the didn't have anything to do with that. Yeah, it, was, it, it said MILF and I was like, they the did dreaded this MILF. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So, uh, uh, so House of M, not my favorite, not a big fan um, of all of the reset AUs. It's probably my least favorite. Uh, I think the thing that a good AU needs is the ability to advance the story through reflection. Like just that even the audience could learn something new. But the point of House of M seemed to be reveal so many things that we never knew that disrupted the nature of where we'd been going. Because there's different yeah. ways to do roadblocks. There's different ways to do hurdles. Completely throwing me to the side and saying, no, this is this Wolverine story we're going to do now. And completely, you know, robbing so many narratives that were moving so fluidly at that point and having them have to throw in these crossover issues. Just not my favorite. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you guys feel about House of M, but it's one I'm glad we don't spend too long in. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say the, the controversial thing. If I could go back and excise House of M from the comic book history oh, God, of yeah. X-Men and literally make it so that it could not touch any of the other stuff in those universes as they develop, no I would do that in House a of heartbeat. M. Because it, it, it screwed up the you know the competing timelines and everything else so badly that so we are badly. still undoing yeah. damage from it and it it mm, it angers me yeah. that's so that's so interesting to me because like from like a like a literary theory idea at some point we do have to remove all mutants to see what that's like mm -hmm. and so and but we I, do it without like torturing a, a, a society there's ways you can like yeah. this was like this was so bad that like people whose mutations mutations were physical died. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. If their body was deformed in some way, they, they died under the suffocation of their skin or mm. they fell out of the sky flying and landed to death. It like, was yeah. super eugenicist. It was, yeah. it was grossly yeah. eugenicist okay. because you're right. And, but this was not that. And the crazy okay. thing is they did this on a 
a smaller scale at 1.2 with the high evolutionary high, with the mm-hmm. six month gap yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so like they like they we already had a arc where we saw mutants depowered and like everybody in earth was depowered then at that point in time they like their power their mutations were reversed like so like yeah just to do this story it, it's so weird tk what were your house of emmys uh, did you did you hand them out for best actor or best actress or did mm-hmm. you think this was all technical awards? It was best Emma Frost and I gave it to Emma Frost. Yeah, yeah I, um, I agree. This was uh, House of M started right when I had kind of completed my first full year back reading comics after taking a few years off. Um, and for me, it actually uh, really worked in every way until that very end and that very end could have even worked too had it not led to the decade plus of consequences um but no i loved house of m for a lot of reasons i thought it was gorgeous so much good art uh really cool character concepts and for me coming back to comics with an event that reflected one of my favorites which was age of apocalypse at that time um kind of just it all worked um but like Raven, if I could, I would go, I would happily never read it again if I could decanonize it. Just, you know, too big a consequence. Now, to take a look at our next event, because I tried to stay with events like that were in the X office, so I left out things like Age of Ultron. Um, <laughs> but our next event, I kind of got dinged on, but I'm okay with getting dinged on it. So uh, our next event is Age of X. And the only thing I need to note about Age of X before we do anything else is we had the incredible opportunity to sit down with Mike Carey and talk to him about the legacy of Age of X. It was uh, really an incredible opportunity to speak with a genius creator, whether it's Lucifer or it's, you know, X-Men Legacy, Age of X itself. You definitely want to check out that classic interview and uh, please continue to support this unbelievable creator in all of his incredible adventures at Marvel. He is doing some work on Miracle Man, featuring some of my favorite minor characters from the Miracle Man universe that I could barely even believe I had the opportunity to hold my hands on. It was incredible. So um, Age of X, please. This is my favorite um, AU in the history of Marvel. And uh, I just... I'm obsessed with it. I think it's the greatest day you Marvel ever did. Uh, but Nathan, you had a pretty good point about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, it's a Legion driven story. Um, it, it, Xavier is dead during the process. Like it features uh, like even the person that Legion brought back to like r- help him run it or, or however you want to describe whatever that Moira was was um was a version of moira mctaggart so like (laughs) so like uh there's some interesting stuff to like really try to decompress there and that but yeah to me it was it was definitely the legion event if anything else but that reality fucking rocked like uh, we may not have had as many lasting consequences of it as we did in say like age of apocalypse or house of m um but it really gave frenzy a strong jumping point and her role as a hero really began at that point in time um and you know just like man like the looks were amazing like that dazzler look like fucking fabulous um like the new mutants 
all their looks like rogue is legacy like oh loved it all anybody any thoughts on agent x it happened it was yeah. there i accept well one that a little bit more than happened and uh, a little bit more than stirred up some controversy. You know, when I talk about um, Age of X, it's one I love, but it's literally 12 issues. It's like there's nothing there. Yeah. But an event that really fucking took some time was the six months that the Marvel Universe had to coexist with Age of X-Man. I am not the world's biggest Age of X-Man hater. It's probably not my favorite story in the world, but I would love to get everybody else's take. The character it's, of course, named after is X-Man, who first appeared in January 1995, a character I love very much, but this was not my event. <sighs> okay, so I, I think foundationally this came at a really weird time for the X-Men line. Um, the Age of X-Men event was going on. It took a majority of the X-Men characters and threw them into this au where they could live alternate lives whatever x-man with his weird like anti-fucking thing like his anti-love thing like okay dude like we get it you got some issues but like um i i prefer the event to what was happening to the x-men that were left behind um that's for sure uh like the the rosenberg uncanny era is is an era <laughs> that stuff happened that I, it feels like from what I understand, like he knew that he needed to get it to the, he was told he had to get it to the darkest place he could because they were going to reset everything afterwards with house of X. I, I can give some credit to it. I, I like some of the story beats. I just, the overall, like there was no hope in the Rose and Candy, Whereas in age of X-Men, we at least got, lot of hope we got some fun au stuff we got i got to see nightcrawler and megan be together like fuck yeah like um and i i we got a lot of our current stable of favorite x writers out of those events like like we, we williams did extremists um vita Alla, they did uh prisoner x um you know so it really sort of like introduced us to a lot of the writers of the Krakoan era or shapers of the Krakoan era in their own way. To that point, I also want to mention that Vida Ayala got to create a number of unique mutants for yes. Age of X-Men. A lot of them were uh, queer, they were trans, they were uh, not straight cis white people. And it was so cool to see those. And at the time I thought, oh, how great, you know, they got four issues to make these cool characters and they'll be beloved fondly. Vita managed to put all of them on Krakoa, basically. Yep. I, I have to go through the whole list, but uh, these characters are now mainline continuity. And it was funny because there was a point at which Nico was asking me um, to include... Um, a couple characters that were not just straight cis people and based on what we were doing i was like i don't know if anybody fits that mold and i was kind of looking through and it was like oh that's right that character who was in uh in the prison at the time oh right oh 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 these all these people all have been in new mutants yep. these people have been all over um so for as problematic as, as age of x-man is um 
two things. One, we now know that we were getting Krakoa afterwards. So I now look back on it so fondly because it is sort of that last door, the last exit before we get to go to Krakoa. And now, yeah. like, given that you can have a little more fun with what was there, I don't feel like uh, Nate's motivations or anything were my favorite. I have a lot of opinions about X-Men. We'll, we'll set those aside for now. But if nothing else, if you hate it completely and just don't have anything good to say, the one good thing that you really can say with confidence is, as Nathan mentioned, some really great writers got their start and got to plant their flag in the X universe there. And as a really fantastic example, Vida Ayala used that time to give us so many characters that uh, really moved the representation bar to a new level. I don't know that we see it that way all the time, but it is there. Yep. Well, that brings us to our last event. And for this, I need our bottom row to sound off for sure. What are you guys most looking forward to from the sins of Sinister? And then please give your sign off, say a fond farewell, and then the show's going to say goodbye because it's been on all day and I'm tired. So okay. we're <laughs> no, I can do this all day, but, you know, we have to we have to eat. So everybody uh, tell me, how are you feeling about sins of Sinister? Tori, you know, you just really need to tell me what you're expecting to get yanked in against your will on. Uh, well, I don't know any of those sinister characters, so I'm gonna guess if there's a lady one that has her own time, that's probably the one I'll be reading. So her name is Mother Righteous. <laughs> She's a magical religious sinister, and uh, yeah. she does magic things with psychic space with Margali Zardos. Yeah, I was also yeah. gonna say Storm in the Brotherhood might be a really good space yeah. for Tori to weigh in. Oh yeah. Um. So yeah. So I I I don't I don't go there. I don't know them. Um. But I'm sure it's gonna be a lot of fun because who doesn't love things with alliteration? <laughs> New sinister? Who dis? <laughs> Tori, where can everybody find you? You can find me on the Twitters at Tori underscore Sheehan on Instagram at SM Tori and all over your socials on the Billy Club with my good buds Nico and our producer Kevo. And you know I love being there. Ali Galactic said, all she wants from Sinister is Rasputin 4 joining the 616 and getting a spot in a monthly X-Book going forward. Agreed. God Sinister's ears. Raven, how about you? Where does your heart lie in the Sins of Sinister spectacle that stands before us? I'm, I'm, because of the Moira engine, I'm really hoping that somehow a lot of the past sins past books that are or arcs that were just uh, are gonna somehow be kind of retconned to have less impact on our current state and um just like it was said i really hope they bring in some of the like the fan favorite characters who were fantastic in other storylines but really didn't maybe get the chance to shine Rasputin would be a great example of that. I would really, really love for them to to come into the 616 and have more of a permanent spot um, on a book with, with more interaction because they are fantastically interesting, but I don't feel like they've really been given um, enough of a spot where they could shine in the universe itself. I'm so sorry I lost the last two words that you said because I accidentally unplugged my headphones, but you what you're looking like has the cadence of completion. So <laughs> I'm I'm going to ask you for your amazing sign off so everybody can find oh, your incredible yeah. self. 
I'm sorry. So yeah, uh, let's see. The best way to find me is Sanguine Threads. You'll find me all over the place. And I just started a new TikTok channel that is going to be storytelling specific for my ADHD, um, which is in a bathroom. Well, that's amazing. And we can't wait to check you out there. And Jonah, Jojo, yes. talk to me. Talk to me about the sinning sinisters. Can't even speak. Talk about, about Mr. Cinnamon. How do you feel uh, about the sins of Mr. Cinnamon? Yeah, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, uh, one of my favorite cereals. Um, I am looking forward to... My captain. I am looking forward to... Um, one, I need more uh, Secrets of Sinister. I need more gossip. I need more of these like little magazines. Give me a full magazine of Sinister just revealing uh, juicy details now that he currently runs the Earth, apparently. Um, <laughs> that's number one. I need more of those. Number two, I, um, I'm hoping for an all out war between all four factions. Just get, just give me a big old, everyone just goes in the middle. Everyone just starts fighting. It's that big cartoon cloud. You see fists, you see, you see all these different things flying out, out of everywhere until there stands one sinister. And then in that moment when I, and I hope it's the, what we know as sinister diamond sinister, I'll say, I'll call him diamond sinister. And I hope right in that moment someone kills one of his Moiras and it resets everything. I love it. And Jojo, where can everybody find you on the interwebs? If you want to find me, you know, talk to me, do anything you want. You can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at peak Jonah. You guys hear that? Jonah will let you do anything you want. Just contact him. No. And so, wow. So uh, that brings us to our hosts, who, of course, we've talked about what we <laughs> we talked about what we're looking for from the sins of sinister uh, a good couple of times now, and uh, that leaves just one person who hasn't said what they're looking for out of sins of sinister. Hey, producer Kevo, I gotta know, buddy, what are you looking for from the sins of sinister? Seeing as you're going to be producing this fucking thing. Honestly, I am not paying a super lot of attention to this one. Um, I don't... Sinister's not my jam. And I get where, like, he's some people's jam. But um, not not about it. I'm, I'm more interested in uh, the rest of the upcoming docket of uh, events. We have Fall of X coming up, I think, uh, in a few months. And something like that definitely has my attention more than uh, Sins of Sinister. I hope I hope everyone comes out alive. And I hope everyone has a good time. I hope it's neat. So the thing you're looking I... for is the end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just hoping nobody I mean... with a lateral list is forced to talk about Sins of Sinister on television. Oh, yeah, there is that. Because I no, keep going I have, to be like, Finn, the, I can't even say it. I've got this studer. Yeah. Got all this stuff coming up. Goodness. So, Sins of Sinister, yeah. Summer of Symbiotes. Oh. Fall of Vengeance. That. We have to get through this Cold War. What? Then we should have a pretty hot summer. And uh, so that'll be fun. So yeah, uh, in, in essence, TK, yeah, I'm looking forward to the ending. Sorry. I get you. I really do. I respect it well, so like much. We said, it's like you said during exterminators, not everything is for everyone. And I'm not like, mm -hmm. end it, make it over. I'm just like, it'll be over. It's like the seasons or the weather. I'm patient. I've got stuff I'm more interested in coming up. And that's the way that 
you should approach these things. That's well, valid. I'm going to say my sign off so we can get this motherfucker on the road. And I am Nico Action. You can find me at N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N on Twitter and Instagram. And you can, of course, find X's for Show at X'sForShow.com. It's still X's for Podcast a few places, but we're making those changes. You can find us at X's for Show on YouTube, which you're already doing if you're watching this. But if you're listening to the podcast, please don't forget to like and subscribe to the YouTube channel and these amazing gentlemen on either side of me. I'm going to start with Nathan and then go over to TK. Nathan, where can everybody find you on the interwebs? Uh, you can find me at Dazzler OA, mainly Twitter, but like anywhere that I know of that there's a social. I've tried to set it up as Dazzler OA, so yay. So um, it's been great. Like, I just hope the Moira engines finally are like destroyed after this. Like, I hope we're not living under the threat of constant reality reset. Uh, and actually, real quick, TK, before you go, Allie, where can everybody find you online since you've been <laughs> such a part of this discussion? Uh, if you want to <laughs> type in your socials right into the chat, I'll pop it right up on there so uh, everybody can follow you for your kick-ass opinions. Uh, and TK, please, uh, amazing TK, where can everybody find you in all of your amazing TKness? You can find me on any social at xnatexgrayx. Well. Nice. Until we come back to share more amazing Marvel comics with you, keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open. Remember, I'm hoping for at least one of Sinister's suits to be from Men's Warehouse. And until then, we'll see you. Oh, wait. Uh, we got Allie. Allie says, over there someplace. And then says... Alley Galactic. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Please follow all of the Bye. amazing hosts you've seen here and have a great night. Bye. Bye. Okay. Enjoy the Super okay. Bowls. Uh, oh. Get right. those superb, superb owls. owls. Yay, superb owls. Owls <laughs> here. Go owls. owls. Have a fun Go big owls. game. <laughs> I don't know which side I'm on. For or against the owls. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Very pro who.